Welcome to the EcoIQ Project. I'm Aaron Henderson. My guest today is activist, educator, artist, and innovative mycologist, Peter McCoy. Peter, you are the self-published author of Radical Mycology, which you published in 2016, a massively comprehensive and in-depth look at fungi, and its many contexts at multiple levels, including agroecology, bioremediation, medicine, food, cultivation, and various cultures surrounding fungi. In 2017, seeing another unfulfilled global need, you founded Mycologus, the world's first dedicated school for all things mycology, and the next iteration of your mission to bring to, to light and share the amazing keystone ecology element of fungi. So for the last 17 years, you're an advocate and educator for people starting to understand the significance of fungi and its connection basically to everything ecologically speaking, including us. And your work's featured in numerous news, media outlets and documentaries with plenty of students uh, uh, and also a lead mycologist at MycoCycle, a Chicago-based bioremediation firm and advisor to various other platforms. So with more and more people waking to the importance of understanding and working in alignment with the ecological processes, your passion for communication and going deep into this rabbit hole uh, of elusive world brings us closer and closer uh, to in something indefinable and infinitely complex, um, an intelligence within our global ecologies and nature itself. It's a really great pleasure to welcome you to the show, Peter. Welcome to Week Like You. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. <laughs> all right. So, um, Peter, how important is it, in your opinion, for all of us to see and understand at some level the role fungi plays in, in, uh, in the resilience of our global ecology and agriculture? Well, it's hard to, I guess, put a number on it. Um, <laughs> I'd say it's it's unfortunate that that most of us just never learned about this massive, massively important and incredibly fascinating topic. Uh, you know, it took me many years of first developing an interest, a personal eclectic interest in mycology as a teenager, and then pursuing it for many years, and along the way realizing that no matter who I try to talk to, friends, peers, uh, fellow environmental activists, when I was involved in different kind of activist campaigns in my younger years, no matter whatever their background, almost everybody would give me a blank look and, and sort of uh, a complete sort of disconnect from whatever the conversation was whenever I tried to bring in how fungi might play a role or might be influential in the thing we were discussing or just that they're interesting. And it took me many years to just realize that that wasn't something personal. It wasn't necessarily even an, an issue with that person uh, or the way I was presenting the topic. It was that culturally, phenomenologically and sociologically, we have a mycological blind spot that globally in the West, we are essentially myco-illiterate and most of us learn nothing about fungi at all growing up. And they're never presented in the media uh, anywhere throughout all of our education from kindergarten to university levels. Um, many people I've met have taken four-year master programs, master degree programs in environmental studies in the States, maybe got a day or two of mycology. And these types of oversights and blind spots in our understanding of the natural world is is no one person's problem per se but it's left all of us sort of behind and with massive holes in our understanding of as you mentioned not just the ecological world and so many if not all natural processes being in some way tangentially not directly influenced by fungi but human history and how so many cultures and the development of of human civilization as a whole has been heavily influenced by micro and macro fungi sometimes in profound and sometimes in subtle ways, but in ways that are worthy of highlighting and bringing into our understanding of ourselves and how we've come to be where we are. And with
just left a little bit empty handed and with just a few of the most helpful tools potentially for our toolbox missing. And so when I realized this a bunch of years ago that it was largely an educational issue and it was just the fact that most people didn't know what they were missing out on. They didn't know how to think about these things. And if only they had the terms and skills, they maybe not everybody, but many of them would be interested to learn more or at least share it with their friends as you might any other curiosity. And that's why many years ago, uh, me myself and other people took on the effort to start spreading this word and sharing our passion for mycology and recontextualizing it, modernizing it, destigmatizing it, and showing how all that fungi do and all their uniquenesses and their strangeness and their uh, fascinating uh, ancestry is is relevant no matter what your own personal interest and background is. And just as we learn about plants and germs and bacteria and things as children and in, and in high school here in the States, we know we all have to take a biology class at least for one year to learn the basics of life around us so we understand what's going on. Here again is just one more piece of that picture of the world. And really in my experience, my bias, and but also through engaging and teaching others and learning from them, that it's a it's a piece of the puzzle that once you grasp it and once you really kind of let it sink in, it really starts to shift your understanding of the world and really start to present and propose new paradigms for how the world functions. And perhaps in many ways, we should place the, the funga as a little bit more important in many cases than the flora and fauna of the world, yeah. because it's yeah. often the fungi that come first and lay the foundations for so much of the rest of life. No, they're great. And so, tell me, tell me, Peter. Sorry to interrupt. Just tell me, have you seen that change a little bit over over time? Like this uh, awareness? Well, absolutely. I mean, when I started, like I said, when I was a teenager, you know, my my social sphere is very small, but nobody I knew knew anything, and of course, it wasn't in the media. And really, in the last, and even when I started teaching in various ways over going on fourteen years or so, people were. Luckily, in my sort of alternative world I was living at the time, people were a little bit more open-minded, but nobody knew anything. I was sort of the only person in my whole town, essentially one of the only people that knew much. Um, but then over the last 10 years, especially, things have sort of definitely snowballed. I mean, of course, the internet has helped spread awareness of so many things and teach people so many things. And I definitely attribute the spread of mycology to that more so than any one person. But the And along the way with all that, it's the many facets of mycology that, as I just touched on have reached into their own uh, relevant niches and healers are learning more and more about medicinal mushrooms and ecologists and regenerative agriculturalists are seeing the value of, of soil fungi, mycorrhizae and mushrooms and how they close the loops and they need to be brought better and more closer to the center of their systems, things mm -hmm. like this. So, and that's, it's definitely shifted. I mean, now it's, it's, I used to, teach many years ago that it's okay to be interested in mycology and don't be afraid to share it with your friends and family and we need people to to sort of help break the taboo and i don't feel like i need to say that anymore mm. because in my experience it at least again here in the west and um or in north america and especially in the western side of north america which is a little bit more fungi friendly i'd say to some other parts um the stigmas aren't there nearly as much as they were even a handful of years ago Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, tell me, your, like your whole platform and really your message, it's, it, it shines through very clearly that like sharing is really at the heart of what you do. You know what I mean? Really, it's like about sharing knowledge and, and, and also like a connection that you have, obviously. Um, how important do you think it is for also people who are not involved in, in farming and growing to, to learn about these things? Do you think it has like a knock-on effect? For, have you thought about that before? Well, absolutely. 
I mean, as I said, you know, really, if 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 a given person is willing to take the time to study the topic, even on a cursory level, and um, just sort of get familiar with it, I think that many people that have a general interest and appreciation for the natural world and a little bit are more nature oriented, especially, will be fascinated by how special and unique and just unusual fungi are from a biological standpoint. How they grow, what they're doing in the soil, what they're doing in, in all the life around us. And, and then a step beyond that is looking at the sort of cutting edge of the science and seeing that everything we continue to discover, because the science is so young and we know so little, that almost every day, all the new discoveries only further imply that fungi are critical to life and not just uh, plants out there, but inside of our own bodies. This is a huge topic right now is the, the microbiome of the human body, how the fungi that live inside of us are significant in our, not only our physical health and digestion, but even immune function and mental health in many cases. Mm -hmm. So that's, you know, for a lot of people, I think that would, that would sink in if they knew more about that, but even just, uh, the, the, the realization, you know, an, an easy first step for, for me or that I took many years ago and that I think is helpful for others is understanding that we now believe that all plants are infused essentially throughout their entirety from the roots to the tips of their leaves with fungi that live inside of them, that they're, sort of skeleton, if you will, underneath the plant cells or between the plant cells is, is fungal tissue, fungal networks, the mycelium. And so this is a, comes from the, this understanding or this notion led me to the term seeing fungi. So whenever I go into a natural environment, I appreciate the, the plants and animals and the bugs and everything around me, of course, but also sort of through the veil, if you will, behind it all and beneath it all are the fungi. And so that's always on my mind. And sort of that respect and wondering what they're doing and to the degrees I understand it, you know, trying to see those processes around me. And that's just another way to appreciate and engage with the world um, that most people, again, you know, just never have the chance to, it's, you know, if you don't can't see what's behind the curtain, you might not ever think to, to look there. Yeah. Yeah. That's fantastic. Tell me, I just, I'm just curious uh, about um, something. We're quite arid here in, in, um, in Israel. Have you found, have you, in your research and that, have you found like in arid areas, there's still like a lot of activity with fungi and uh, like when you look at those kind of areas, do you still have that like seeing fungi kind of uh, thing happening? Yes. There's many fungi. I mean, we have to recognize that all plants, almost all plants, and in my belief, all plants form some sort of root association with fungi in a natural setting and undisturbed setting. So there's always fungi there. They just might not be producing large, fleshy, moist mushrooms that we often more immediately connect with, with fungi on the whole. But some of the most important ecologically significant fungi are the microfungi, the, the molds and the yeast, awesome. the mycorrhizae that don't form mushrooms that we don't see. And they're doing some of the most important work, some of the most profound chemical transformations, which is one of the, the, the most important things fungi do is manipulate or and move and transform the nutrients of the world. And this is happening in deserts. They've, they've sampled uh, deserts around the world and certainly find microfungi there. Um, some of them have novel bioactive compounds, potentially medicinal compounds. There's papers sort of focused on just that notion of, you know, even the driest places you go to the Sahara, you're going to find where there's plants around, I mean, if it's in the middle of the pure dune with no other life, there might not be any fungi there, yeah. but certainly where there's any type of, of other life or any type of moisture, even deep down, uh, the fungi can travel to get some of that. Um, all cacti are uh, mycorrhizal, so their roots are very short and, and thick and can't access, they don't have a lot of surface area, and they can't access a lot of nutrients or water 
they're heavily slash entirely dependent on the mycorrhizae to bring them their water. Wherever we see a cactus, we can we can think about those fungi. Um, I'm not sure about Israel, but in um, other parts of North Africa and around the Mediterranean and Middle East and things, there are uh, these desert truffles that are historically quite important as a food and medicine source, and they grow in in arid parts of uh, Pakistan is one place I know that it's very cold, very culturally significant. Um, so that's a, that's a macro fungus. It's underground. So you have to dig it up, but you can sort of see where it's breaking through the surface as one cultural overlap. But again, the, the microfungi are, are an easy um, way to just start thinking about, the, the, again, these, the fungi everywhere, seeing them everywhere. Right. So, yeah, I just, uh, I, I wanted to, um, we're going to talk about quite a, we we'll definitely talk about uh, quite a few different things, but um, just because the EcoIQ project is uh, a lot of our audiences, uh, farmers or people that work in production systems. And uh, um, we'll also talk a little bit about transformation, but probably the, the mycorrhizae is probably something we want to um, ask you quite a bit about, like what your, what your research has showed up about that. Um, but I, I just like, let's maybe just start off a little bit with uh, like to get your opinion on, on soil wielding. On the, and I, I mentioned, I mean, like in terms of like carbon, I mean, in, I'm talking in farming kind of terms and call it carbon sequestration, but I mean, you know, it's got a, basically the whole foundation for that is mycorrhizae fungi. So maybe we'll just start off with telling our audience, the people that are not so clear with it, what's the, what is mycorrhizae? And, and maybe like the, just tell us about the endo and ecto. What's the, what's the difference with those? Just to fill in a few. Sure. Few. Of course, yeah. So myco is Greek for fungus and rhiza as root. So a mycorrhizal association is when a plant and fungus uh, form a symbiotic partnership, uh, typically mutually beneficial. So there's an exchange of nutrients and fluids and, and at least water in one direction from the fungus to the plant, but definitely nutrients both ways. So they're both getting something out of the relationship. There are seven, currently seven categories of mycorrhizae and they're delineated based on the kind of depending on the grouping, uh, especially the structure that's formed inside and around the surface of the root. And so that's one of the biggest definitions of these seven groups. But also to a certain degree, the, the fungi involved, the species, genera, and phylum, depending on what we're talking about, and as well, the, the plants involved. So certain plants, say the air KCE, they only form a certain type of mycorrhizal structure with certain groups of fungi, and that structure, the type of mycorrhiza is called the uh, aracoid for air KCE, aracoid mycorrhiza. So those seven types uh, are important, and certainly we could do a lot more to understand many of them better. But there are two that are the best studied because of their uh, commonality and also because of now, after decades of research, their clear ecological and economic significance. And the two are the arbuscular mycorrhizal fungi and the ectomycorrhizal fungi. The ectomycorrhizal fungi are the is perhaps one of the more familiar because this is where a lot of our woodland truffles including the desert truffles I just mentioned, but also where I live in a temperate forest setting, the, the underground truffles and the above-ground mushrooms that fruit from the forest floor, many of those are forming this ectomycorrhizal association, typically with trees. There's only about five to 6,000 fungi that form this association with roughly 5% of the world's plants, predominantly shrubs and trees. But they're critical for accessing nutrients and water for the plant roots. This is one of the major themes of the mycorrhizal uh, association is that the mycelium, the fungal tissue, is a network and webs, a uh, web of threads that are 
hundredth of a human hair thick, have incredibly high surface area relative to even the finest root tip. And when the fungus wraps around the mycelium, when the fungus wraps around the root tip and then goes out and grows quicker and covering so much more area than the plant can, it will access water and nutrients, as I say, and especially access nutrients through means that the plant never evolved to, to do through again, kind of chemical transformations, the fungi release acids and enzymes and break down nutrients and food in the environment and leave byproducts behind for a lot of the other soil life, but also take in a lot of that, uh, the breakdown, the broken down products for their own metabolism and to channel it back to their plant partner. Uh, with ectomycorrhizae, the most significant nutrient input here is nitrogen, especially. So these fungi can actually act as decomposers, whereas Above ground, we think of the fungi growing on wood as just pure decomposers, typically is how we categorize them. But these ectomycorrhizae can also break down organic matter and provide uh, quite high levels of protein, nitrogen to their plant partner through the degradation. Um, other nutrients as well, but that's sort of what they're most recognized for. And many trees will not grow, especially some of the ones we grow around here for, for timber harvest, will not grow in a nursery setting or when put back out into the to the more wild space without their ectomycorrhizal partner. And these fungi need to be present. The plant clearly depends on them. And luckily we found after decades, a handful of species that are quite uh, consistently um, consistent in their production and their establishment with the plant. We would love to be able to inoculate with the chanterelles, the matsutake, the French truffles. These are our more expensive gourmet wild mushrooms that form this ectomycorrhizal relationship. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, those, more expensive and delicious mushrooms uh, don't seem to establish as well in the nursery setting or when outplanted. So the ones we now currently rely on for establishing tree crops and things are not so much gourmet mushrooms and truffles, but other fungi that perform these functions quite well and are quite tolerant of a range of conditions. So that's the ectomycorrhiza, pretty important. And, and generally when you see a wild mushroom in the woods, especially growing on the ground, and if you dig into the ground, there's not like a buried piece of wood there that it's actually growing out of. It's very likely a ectomycorrhizal mushroom associated with a nearby tree or shrub. On the other hand, we have the arbuscular mycorrhizal fungi. And these fungi do not form any above ground three-dimensional mushroom structure. We never see them. They're some of the most cryptic fungi, but also the most ecologically significant in my and many other people's opinions because of all that they do in the soil. So they too uh, clamp onto or connect with plant roots, but they're known as endomycorrhizal fungi, whereas the ectomycorrhizae coat the surface of the root, sort of create a shield or a sheath, as we call, and will actually penetrate into the root structure. The arbuscular mycorrhizae will go between the roots and actually penetrate through the root cell wall, and between the root cell wall and membrane will produce a structure known as an arbuscule. And this structure is where the nutrients are exchanged. And so it's a much more intimate and sort of deeply integrated and meshed into the root structure of the plant. And as the plant is growing, as it keeps producing new meristems and new root tips, these fungi will sort of fall off and travel and always be constantly growing with the newest, freshest tips. So it's a very rapid uh, fall off and exchange and other fungi are coming. It's a very dynamic system, of course, but we typically describe it as just sort of a one-on-one -on -one thing. Well, these fungi are doing something similar, penetrating in, and th their structure is different, which is part of the designation. But most interestingly is they go out into the soil, and their most significant 
both for nitrogen input as an ectomycorrhizae, but most significantly for their phosphorus input. Like solu phosphorus solubilizing bacteria, these fungi release acids that can solubilize and release phosphorus out of rock and other inorganic sources in the soil and provide that to plants in pretty significant levels. This is how a lot of plants get a lot of their phosphorus in a, in a healthy setting. And especially in a cultivation setting, uh, if phosphorus inputs are reduced and rock phosphate is, is all that's provided and these fungi are, are there, uh, the phosphor, phosphorus fertilizer inputs can be significantly reduced uh, through these fungi nitrogen their their actions. So that's one of their roles they play, um, as well as acquiring water and also connecting many root systems together throughout this work. This is another major point of, of work of all mycorrhizae, and especially these two big categories, is that they're, again, not only working with just one plant partner on one root tip, but they're going out and connecting the root systems of many species, dozens of species, but achieve hundreds of species, hundreds of plants, thousands of, of individuals in a healthy setting and moving nutrients between them where they need to go. This is why, especially the arbuscan mycorrhizae seem to be, and are argued to be the most significant function, um, ecologically significant fungi, is because of this role they perform in their ability to move nutrients where they need to go and essentially culling and and selectively uh, choosing which plants can survive if you if you sort of follow the logic there um, it seems a little bit um, hard to imagine do they have a, a roadmap and a plan we don't necessarily say that but essentially through the work they are defining what can and cannot survive and plant-wise and thereafter which insects show up and which um, macrofauna show up so they're critical in that way and then along the way they're doing many other things in the soil but um, I guess I can kind of just leave it there as a starting place uh, for this big topic. Yeah, it's. I, I think uh, the most amazing thing I, I, I can learn myself about mycorrhizae fungi is that uh, I, I was really amazed by is that plants actually are very, very inefficient at collecting water, so to speak, and also cycling nutrients. And without those mycorrhizae connections, the, the efficiency of how they uh, how they cycle those nutrients and, and get water is like very very low. It's an amazing thing, and and the, uh, you know correct me if I'm wrong, but that the addition of the symbiotic relationship with the fungi it just like exponentially like makes it a, so much more efficient at uh, at at, at, uh, at absorbing nutrients and, and water. Is that correct? Well, yeah, and, and tripling or quadrupling or six timesing the yield in some studies, and probably even more if the practices were more refined. Um, and it's as simple as, you know, nowadays buying commercial inoculum and applying it following instructions. And that's certainly a good first step. Um, the caveat I always put out there is that in many cases, uh, I've met many college students, but also heard of independent labs testing these commercial products and finding that their advertised spore count. Uh, was not nearly what the, the researchers were finding. In some cases, the product seemed to have zero spores. So there's always a little bit of, bit of caution around which when you're buying commercial products, but that is an option just to get started applying them in your garden or on your farm and doing test plots and seeing if that simple changes makes anything, uh, it makes a notable difference. But where things are getting, get more interesting for me, and I think where it will trend in the future as more people realize the, the impacts and importance of mycorrhizae and also maybe see the value um, or the lack of value in some of the commercial products is the creation in the future of more local place-based mycorrhizal inoculum. And this can be done any number of ways. And I think this is another um, maybe cottage industry or another skill set that not every member of a community needs to be able to perform, but some can perform for the others, which is harvesting the local fungi from a healthy source 
uh, soil setting, forest setting. And through simple means, cultivating them up, amplifying their numbers uh, exponentially, and then providing this fresh inoculum that is, as I say, fresh, often and can be very high in spore load and, and inoculum count, but also perhaps most significantly adapted to place, adapted to the soils, the climate, the local ecology. And there's many studies that are showing that that is certainly better uh, in, in some cases for the plants, depending on the crop. But of course, it makes sense. And, and depending on the person, that might be resonate more with how they want to grow their food and cultivate their soil. Now, again, this whole notion of harvesting these fungi, cultivating them, this is new to most anybody. Maybe it sounds daunting, but it's actually very simple. Um, a great starting place uh, for learning about these skills was developed by an institute called the Rodale Institute here in the States. They spent about six or seven years working with farmers in the northeastern part of the country to develop just this method. And if, if you go to their website and look up Rodale or just type in Rodale mycorrhizal inoculum, um, their protocol is free and available and fairly easy to follow. It takes about a year, but very simple. And there's more elaborate ways to do this. And there's more elaborate ways to, uh, to test your soil, to sieve it, and to sieve out these spores of the Arbuscular mycorrhizae and count their numbers and see how healthy they are, what their, what their diversity is. And you can also sample your roots and stain them and look at them under a microscope and see if the fungi are present inside of the root. And that's a great way to see if the inoculum, the commercial one you're buying is even working. Or if your cultivation strategy alongside the, um, the product is complementary. But these are all skills that are by and large unheard of to most people. They never knew this was possible. But I think that will change um, in time. Just as many farmers take their soil to get tested for its nutrient content, its cation exchange capacity, things like this. Um, already you can get your, your arbuscular mycorrhizal spore count tested in some labs here in the States. But I think in the coming years, it'll be much more common all around the world. And many people will be doing it in their you know, own backyard. Yeah, it's uh, th this idea of like um of doing everything kind of like like I said, I mean, I'm Australian, so every doing everything in your shed is kind of like a really big uh, personally, it's a really big thing for me because uh, it involves a lot of other um, uh, aspects of transformation with the person that's working with it, like you know, freedom and independence, and uh, you know, and I I know that you actually like you sometimes describe yourself as an activist, and is that like is that is that or do you see sometimes that as part of your work? Because I mean, I know also with the liquid, um, with doing the um, cultivating the mushrooms with the liquid uh, mycelium, you you talk about um, kind of like breaking down secrets of big tech and things like that. Is that that kind of activism and like breaking it down to be able to do it on your place with your local um, uh, fungi? And is that, is that an important aspect for you? Do you, do you feel that's an important thing? Well, yeah, absolutely. I guess to these days it's a little bit more integrated into just what I do and how I roll that I don't as much make it a point. Um, perhaps it's my bias and just me being, having said it so many times, I figure everybody in the world's already heard it, but um, <laughs> of course that's not the case. Uh, yeah. I mean, that was a big sort of instigation for me to, to sort of pursue this work years ago. I came from just a general interest in, in mycology, mushroom growing, as I said, um, in my late teens, early twenties, got into different types of environmental social activism, a lot of education based and just freedom of information, um, access to information, but also environmental protection. These were issues I was really interested in. And as I, as I mentioned earlier, um, realized that fungi weren't, weren't, uh, relevant to most people. And then as I got deeper into understanding mycology alongside these other interests, realized that mycology was very much a coveted uh, industry. 
you know, if we look at actually the history of mycology as science, it's one of the youngest natural sciences, about 250 years old. And about the last hundred years, essentially the bulk of the 20th century, a lot of the the application of the science vis-a-vis mushroom cultivation and, and microfungi cultivation for extracting their chemicals is actually a big part of modern industry is using fungal compounds for different processes. But anyway, all of that was very heavily uh, buried in trade secrets, especially in mushroom cultivation. That's where I started when I was a teenager, and that was it's always been interest of mine is growing mushrooms um, for food, for medicine, um, and just for its own unique thing to do. And when I came to realize that uh, after meeting many elders and people that had been in it much longer than myself, et cetera, that they for decades have been trying to learn and were always misled and the books didn't tell you enough. And they would try to talk to people that had been running the farm and they wouldn't, everybody was secretive. And, you know, you could say a lot of that is due to the market was very small in the eighties and nineties and even early two thousands. There just wasn't interest in the West and North America for mushrooms. So people that had struggled for years to figure out this, this method, uh, this, these techniques didn't want to lose their small market to, you know, somebody by just teaching them in a couple of days. And, you know, one hand you can understand that from sort of a market business standpoint, but the younger me saw that was not, not the way that the world should yeah. be. And also, I mean, really from, if we want to look at a sort of market standpoint too, as you increase awareness, you increase demand, you, and then you have exactly. greater need for supply. And we needed to advance it too. That's part of part of my thinking. All of this has has truly evolved over the years too. It started from like, well, that's not right. We should just everybody should know this if they want to. We should all be able to grow vegetables in our backyard if we want to. We should all be able to grow mushrooms in our closets in our kitchens if we want to. Like that, of course. And that's where it started for me is sort of like, well, forget all that. I'm just going to share what I want, <laughs> and and hope and and get people excited along the way. And that's where it started in many respects. And then for the last. Like I say, decade, it's been evolving this conversation in many directions as I've learned more and grown as a person. Um, and a big part of that is the, the liberation. I mean, for me, it's, um, you know, one of the one of the first things I, I wrote a long time ago that um, sort of kickstarted this whole, my whole realization that there was a need for this knowledge was I, I wrote a zine called Erratic, Mycolo- called Erratic Mycology. And it was just sort of meant to be a, it was sort of tongue in cheek. It was also serious an integration of mycology, but also sort of environmental and social issues and a little bit of let's raise our fist about this and get excited. <laughs> and it was, some of it was, you know, it was kind of um, half serious, but also like I say, serious. And the subtitle was, it was a spore liberation primer and spore liberation is a term for a mushroom releasing spores, but there's also, excuse me, spore liberation front. And so it was this, this joke I had with myself that, just as we've had many revolutionary fronts around history that were called, you know, this liberation front, this liberation front, um, different points of history. This was a notion that we need to liberate mycology. We needed to free it from the confines of academia and private industry and, mm-hmm. and bring it to the masses. And when I came up with that idea, I mean, I thought it would, it would make me and my two friends laugh. I mean, and then lo and behold, a lot of people were interested in it after many years of, of eventually spreading that zine around the world. And well, anyway, that, that whole notion is, was, something I didn't really think anybody else would understand. But then as I realized other people resonated with that and also started to, again, realize as, as you're saying that, yeah, I don't know anything about mycology. I do want to learn this. It's interesting. How do I learn more? And things just kept going forward. And it's always been a, a question myself of not only how can I educate people better, but a big part of the work that I've always been interested in, because I almost feel like I'm more of an artist in many ways before anything else, before a scientist, before an actor. That's just how my mind works. How I've always been is a creative, 
And it's more about how can we shift culture? How can we shift society or, or uh, people's hearts? And how can we put emotion and creativity into this? There's the left brain and the practicality of it all is great. But if we don't have something to actually resonate with, connect to, it's not going to go very far. So a lot of my work has also been how do we shift our thinking, um, propose new paradigms, not just for seeing the environment, but really seeing ourselves in the world and, and what can fungi teach us and what, is, what are metaphors there and what are just ways to, to think differently? What's a sort of philosophy we might be able to come out of all this? And is it serious? It's, ser it's as serious as, as you want it to be. I think that there's much to learn from a landscape, from, um, you know, my friend's uh, pet dog, you know, how they live and how, how content they are. You know, there's things to learn about from everything that isn't human. And there's much to learn from fungi. And so a big part of my work is taking that, is taking that seriously and, and saying, uh, you know, eco-psychology is a field of thought and how we relate to our environment is, is a really important way of understanding how we feel content in the world and, and, and understand the future and think about the future. And micro-psychology is sort of a, a parallel to that. And what can we learn from studying these organisms? And what is, how does it change our lives when we sink that in? To what degree do we enable it? And what would it look like if more people knew this? And what if, how would it shift society if we all sort of embodied some of these, some of these ideas? So, yeah, I mean, that's, of course, a bit all, all over the map, but these, um, the, the sharing of information and really the, the, the cultural change, the individual change, and then by extension, the cultural change that comes with it has been the, the foundation of my work really from the beginning. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah, that's a, it's a really important, uh, actually, it's really kind of this, uh, what we're talking about now, it's very close to the heart of also um, EcoIQ, the project that we, we started. Um, and it's something I'm very familiar with. Uh, when I first started my own journey, my first serious teachers were ex-agronomists from South America, and their mission was very, very similar. They were, they were actually, actually one of them lost their lost his family home to like uh, agro-corporate funded cartels that basically just kicked him off his farm. And if you come back, he will kill you. This is real, real true story. So, especially in times like now, do, do you feel it's like this the importance of like the freedom of speech and flow of information and ideas? You know, I feel it's really an important aspect. Like you mentioned many things like psychology and everything, even though it sounds a little bit off topic, I just think it's such a critical thing right now to be able to, you know, freely share ideas and, and, uh, and, uh, um, and, and information. And even if somebody doesn't agree with it or they, they don't see the data or whatever. Just to have that free flow of information. I mean, that's uh, how important do you think that is in in, um, in in not just in mycology, but in our world today. Well, yeah, I mean, it's I mean, it's critical. I, I think beyond just you know, again, the, there's the access to the practical skills, but what really motivates a lot of my work more so beyond just sharing that and helping people in, enhance their life and land to a good degree is. Again, the way that my mind works, what I gravitate towards the most is the the cultural shift, and it's not just the access to information; it's what comes with it. It's the I think the ability to think about yourself wow. and the world and and every level of sort of our existence here. What are we doing? Okay. Big question. Big question. Things uh, differently, and you know this is what one of the things I love about mycology is as a as a rote science, as just a natural science academic pursuit. There is so much we don't know. And it's one of the few fields of study where, on one hand, the citizen, the amateur uh, researcher is invited, whereas in many senses, they're not so invited to contribute and add because we do need more people. And that's because we know so little. And what that also implies for me is that there's great room for saying, what if, and proposing whole new ways of thinking about mm -hmm. uh, not only these organisms, but then as we understand what they do under a microscope, 
we can postulate and hypothesize what they're doing in the world and what does this imply and how are they communicating what is plant fungal communication and what is the intelligence of nature and all these things that we humans have thought about for many years uh, for millennia and th there's that end of it and i think that's wide open and in my book i go out on some limbs and just sort of throw out some ideas that couldn't necessarily be disproven but they also they couldn't necessarily be proven but also couldn't necessarily be disproven you know about the way that these organisms function what is what is a healthy environment you know who is guiding it how how does things involve is it all random or or rather um you know really more about the i guess the intelligence thing again i don't necessarily think that fungi have a plan for for how the forest evolves but they're certainly guiding it in ways that and with a type of intelligence that we don't have a word for so there's that whole end of it and just thinking about the world differently but then again for me most creatively and most um, interestingly, and what, what hooked me many years ago, sort of from the beginning, was the, the sort of human relationship, the metaphors, the, 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 um, the cross connections you can find, sort of the poetry in mycology between how they interact in the environment and how we can see parallels in individual lives as humans, but also in human society. And while we can talk in, and talk in metaphors, and I've done this for many years, and sometimes, you know, really taking it seriously and say, okay, what if we really did live like fungi? What does that mean? But it's also, uh, and there's, I think there's things there, there's things to, to mirror, just as we could probably follow that with any group of organisms or something, try to mirror them and see what could be learned. Um, the way that humans learn is or work and, and interact with the world isn't always the best. But I think just even beyond that or below it, I guess, is just that ability to think differently. And I really, it's as simple as that, you know, there's a lot of efforts humans have made over the last several centuries to shift the way that we live to something more um, healthy, healing, and, and productive, and sort of evolve, you know, the next stage in, in human growth. We've sort of stagnated, I think, in many ways. We've technologically advanced, but that's about it. We've sort of emotionally, spiritually, in every other way, have sort of stifled, if not devolved. So how do we move forward, and, and how can we break through our, our dogmas, and maybe dogmas we don't even know that where we have that we don't question and again through through the, all the unusualness of my college because you when a person especially somebody that's totally new to it comes in and sort of everything you learn is just mind-blowing i think that's pretty fair to say for most people if you get a good enough explanation it just makes you i think it shakes you up a little bit and say wow i thought everything was solved i thought we knew everything about the universe i thought it was all entropically dissolving but actually this actually instills tangible and, and real hope um, and excitement and a little bit of the mystery that the natural world always offers to us, but we forget is there. And, you know, a little bit of that magic or what have you that comes along with it. And that spark that, that we really need as humans that we lose in the cities and, and we, we forget when we disconnect. And there's many things that can come from that. That's these types of notions come from eco-psychology, this you know, field of study I mentioned ago, where modern humans are so disconnected from the environment, natural world that we sort of have a, little bit of internal uh challenge we have a lot of internal challenges going along as a part of that and that's an interesting field a, a bigger one in, in many ways but i think almost the the mycological road into seeing our and questioning our relationships with the natural world but also the human world and our own inner world because it's so completely foreign to most people is is a, an unusual and special one because it enables you to say well you've been told your whole life that these organisms are gross and strange and to be feared, never touched, don't even look at them. But actually, they're some of the most incredible and important things in the world. 
you know, maybe that'll help you start to question other things you've just assumed was, was true and that you've been told your whole life. And I would hope that on the other end of that, it enables more people to just, again, think differently and, and, and through that process, come up with their own small way to, you know, shift their life, uh, their personal life to a direction that they never thought possible that helps them out, helps their family. Maybe it's through working with fungi um, or they see it as a pursuit to, you know, make the world and, and their society more mycelial and more connected and more um, dynamic and more mutually beneficial for all these types of things on that, that more metaphoric level. You know, I've always said that just having an interest in mycology, you know, sort of what I said before at the taboo dissolving that just having an interest in mycology is a huge step forward for where we're at culturally. We're at a major turning point in human history as far as for many reasons, but especially in terms of our um, human fungal relationship, the ethnomycology, we, for the first time in all of history, not only understand the incredible significance and influence of fungi in the environment to degrees never before possible, even just a couple of decades ago, and at the same time have the ability to cultivate them and integrate them intelligently throughout many aspects of our human lives in ways that have never been possible. And that those two overlapping and significant fields are why we're having a bit of the explosion, plus the internet helping spread the word a bit. But it's really that we've come to a point finally in history where we know enough to, to really talk about these things. And this is just, you know, not even step one. We're just sort of scratching our foot into step one. We're kind of barely cracking the door open. And so as the sort of microculture evolves, we will enter, you know, realms of engagement with fungi. And, and I think the, the metaphoric overlap and sort of incorporation as children learn about these things and, you know, systems thinking and connections and all the stuff that comes with that and, and just ecology on the whole, which is sort of a philosophy unto itself. Um, as that becomes more integral to the way we live and we're not taught and, and designed to live so disconnectedly, um, I think we'll certainly have many, many shifts that will stem from group realizations about sure mycology, but really, I think most importantly, individual realizations and, and aha moments about, whatever this topic means and, and leads that person toward. Mm, yeah. I really resonate with what you're saying. And I, I, I personally, I take that um, aspect very, very seriously because um, I really resonate with something mass. I don't know if you know of uh, Masanobu Fukuoka. You've heard of him? Yeah, of course. Yeah. So, I mean, he had a fantastic quote. He said the ultimate goal of farming, sorry, we, we, we delayed a bit there. Um, Masanobu Fukuoka, he said this quote, that the ultimate goal of farming is not the growing of crops, but the cultivation and perfection of a human being. And I, I really like resonate. I, I'm really glad also you started at the low, you, start, you said you started at the low level, just think differently. But I want to like maybe put it into a second gear a bit and really like propose that I, I think working with ecologies, you know, there is so many different lessons in there. Like, I mean, just really basic lesson. I mean, when you're working with ecology, as you, you know, I'm happy to hear your idea, obviously, on it. But I mean, the most basic thing I've seen with working with ecologies is you have to come to the realization you're never really going to understand this until the end because it's just so complex. The relationships and even the taxonomy, everything, it's just, it's too complex to understand with a, with a, with a compartmentalizing kind of thing. And, you know, that automatically makes you a bit humble. And it's, a, it's such an important quality now, especially in our days, to be like, okay, I don't know everything. And maybe, you know what, maybe I never will. So um, uh, this idea of transformation, uh, have you, you, so obviously, obviously you've thought about this aspect of, uh, of transformation. I'm really curious if, you, if you've ever found like a, 
if you've ever had a kind of common point or if you've a certain part of your work that you've seen people like aha like something shift in their in their mind with with what you're doing is that something you come across quite quite often in a deep level well yeah i mean one of my strongest memories that i i actually do think about quite often was from the first event that i really put on uh, re related to teaching mycology. So I taught a handful of workshops in my early 20s here and there, random places. Uh, but it was actually after several years of selling and sharing the zine I mentioned, radical mycology, around the world. I, Like I said, I, I originally wrote it for myself and a handful of friends and just wanted to get all these ideas I'd been holding on to for years out of my head and then ended up distributing them um, all around the world for, for years, thousands of them. And my friend proposed at the time said, Hey, this is actually pretty popular. We should do an event. So we ended up long story short, putting on a weekend long gathering called radical mycology convergence that had several hundred people. And the event was great. Um, and I learned many things there, uh, not just really the technical stuff. I mean, one of the biggest ones was that, whereas I thought I'd be a per, an audience member, just be learning from all the teachers we brought in. I ended up being one of the main teachers because there was not a lot of teachers. And that <laughs> sort of blew me away. I said, wow, we need more teachers on this, this topic. Um, but there was a handful of people that came up to me and and thanked me for the event, et cetera. And perhaps one of the most important was a, a young person uh, wearing all black, looking like a lot of the sort of punk rock people I've known over the years, mm -hmm. kind-hearted person, um, from what I could tell, maybe a little bit lost or what have you, I don't know. Um, but they came up to me and said, this has been one of the most life-changing events of my life. All of my friends are nihilists. They don't believe anything. They think that the world is doomed and that human humans are worthless and there's nothing to live for. And this has not only taught me the value of science, which I thought was just one of the evilest words in the dictionary, but also that there's great hope and beauty in the world. And this mm. is, I'll like never be the same after this wow. weekend. And I was 26 and I said, um, <laughs> you're welcome. Thank you. Thank you for telling me that. Um, you know, I had no idea that, that a two day, three day event could, could do something like that to somebody. Um, especially, you know, such a turn and such a really dramatic turn. And I, and I really do worry about my generation and the ones that follow and, and the apathy that we've, sort of been raised into due to our disconnect as I've been touching on in many ways from the natural world, but just sort of our, our disconnection from, from tradition and history and any real sense of relevance uh, and reason to care about, you know, things that have deep meaning that have given humans a reason to uh, overcome the existential crisis that we all sort of push off. And it's probably been there since the earliest humans. And the way that that has been overcome is through the development of connection to land and connection to, to customs and food and cuisine and things that were often a reflection of your land base and things. And, our, you know, my generation, we don't really have that. We've sort of had this sort of global culture and it's not really connected to anywhere. And, um, and then we see negative outcomes of that everywhere. And so then we want to push away this thing we've been sort of told to inherit. And so I understand to some degree where the, where, where her sentiment and her friend's sentiment have been coming from this, this nihilism. I met, I've met many people that have similar thoughts that nothing really matters and why, you know, why I care. And, you know, I've never been that kind of person for me. It's, it's always that I think humans, we've just been sort of held back and we can do so much more. And it's about how do we evolve and how do we change our thinking and, and, and leap forward and things like this. 
And so it was her, that was one of the first people that said something, but it was kind of really almost this extreme because of her sort of background. Mm-hmm. And then now over the last decade, I mean, this is one of the greatest joys of being a teacher. I think any teacher can say is seeing the transformation of their student, they, seeing their eyes open, seeing them, them get it. Um, especially if you're able to not tell them what to think, but sort of propose ideas and see them make their own connections. This is a lot of how I try to teach. Um, this is how I, I try to write my book. It's not exactly telling you exactly what I think because that's heavy handed and a little, uh, it doesn't leave room for new ideas in this field that needs many new ideas and many new minds coming to it. And, but certainly over the years and, and, um, feedback I've gotten from people who've, who've read my book or, or people I've taught or, or just been at events with, or and, and just generally people, almost anybody I meet that's into mycology, whether or not I've informed them, I mean, they've all been, uh, their lives have changed. I mean, you, I mean, almost any field, I mean, you can say this with soil or something, people can get really focused and really excited. And this is their whole life is thinking about compost and soil, things like this. Well, of course, the same with mycology, you get people that are sort of the, their whole life has become, come to revolve around this one thing maybe to unhealthy degrees, but to a certain degree, it's, it's based in, in a, in a in good intention that they, maybe they, they love the food thing or they just love getting onto nature, which is great. Um, and then a good number of them is increasingly more, more days. And, and thankfully many of them younger and younger seeing the value in, in expanding the science end of it and seeing that they can contribute to our knowledge and that we need this. And, and it comes kind of full circle to where once we thought we didn't have much to offer, especially folks, my young generation and things, and maybe that there's not so much to understand. Everything's already been solved. And uh, we're already sort of told what to think about the world and how it's going to go through this topic, along with many others. But at least in this one, there's so much room for integration and for giving yourself uh, a sort of boost for um, importance. You know, your contributions really do matter. An individual in mycology can can change the field forever. This has been shown many times throughout the science. And um I try to do add to the science in my own way. Sometimes it's a little bit eclectic and unusual. That's just my nature, but it's with the greatest hope that, you know, the torch will be passed in many directions and that many people I'll be learning from many people in the not too distant future who have their own unique backgrounds, perspectives, and um, think about these things in different ways. I mean, that's really where this science needs to go because it is so uh, has been held back and sort of limited for so long intentionally or not you know who knows why that is maybe just science is slow to evolve but regardless we just need to keep pushing it forward and as we've been saying you know out of that i think we'll have ripple effects the individual in the sciences as a whole in the natural sciences as fungi come to the prominence and some of our paradigms and environmental assessment type of studies will need to shift most governments don't even assess for the fungi in in an environment i mean they're just completely off the radar of everybody kind of thing Mm -hmm. so once that shifts and reaches um, not just the early adopters like yourself and another, you know, I think a lot of regenerative farmers and agriculturalists are, are already thinking about these things, if not working to advance them in their own way. But when it's just more mainstream and, you know, for good or bad, well, it's going to be good. No matter how mainstream my college becomes, it's, it's going to be good to me because uh, it's, it's going to lead people to, to expand it in all the ways that not one person ever could. Yeah, it's definitely an exciting field. It's an exciting area at all. Um, I, it's, I, I wanted to, like, just to, uh, I like to, sometimes I break things down into uh, metaphysical components, not to philosophize, because I think there's a real re- utility in it. And something I've thought about a lot is really the mycorrhizae fungi, in terms of, at least in terms of regenerative farming and, and uh, like, agroecology, you could call it. 
um, uh, it really seems to me like the communication element of, of all the whole picture, it's that, that, that uh, communication element that connects all the other things and, and keeps that flow of information flowing between different elements, the bacteria, the plants, the, the minerals, the water, everything. And uh, it's something very interesting, just a data point for, you, for your own uh, things. Uh, in uh, Kabbalistic uh, texts and scripts, this element of communication is like the most important uh, thing. There's actually a verse that says uh, from um, uh, King Solomon, I think it was, that he said that somebody that has, uh, um, uh, it's called dat in, in Hebrew, it, it means communication, basically. It's a connection between heart and mind. Someone that has that, they have everything even if they have nothing. And if they don't have it, they don't have anything even if they have everything. And I just think and if, if we look at the like hierarchy of importance, if we can break it down, ecology is very hard to break down, but if we can do that just for an exercise, really it's pretty clear that mycorrhizal fungi is, I mean, it's a keystone, like you said before, it's a keystone element. It's the, you know, it's the most important thing. And uh, I just think in terms of resilience, I'm very interested to get what your, your thoughts on it, that it's very interesting for me that the element of communication is the real one that fosters the most resilience and, and you know as a metaphor for us this free flow of communication promoting resilience among all of us i, I think that's uh, like you said you're not you're not concerned about um about other people taking over uh, your job or or you know like being uh, get, becoming more prominent in, in mycology or anything because i mean at the end of the day the more fr the more the more communication there is the more resilient we're all going to become in this uh in this, I mean, it's also in entrepreneurially, it's a, it's a very valid, uh, you know, the, this idea of competition, doggy dog, it's uh, very old and outdated. So what, what, what's your thoughts on this idea of free flow of communication pr promoting resilience? Is that, how does that sound to you? Well, it's absolutely what, what the mycelium is doing in general, not just the mycorrhizae in the soil. A big part of my the first chapter of my book, which is the more technical biology focus, was elaborating, and I spent a lot of time really looking into the question of fungal communication, their own internal communication systems, and also how they communicate with the environment. There's a lot we don't know, but what I proposed is, I think, fair, and that it seems highly likely, in my opinion, that fungi are communicating through means that we cannot detect. So for a really, in a really good example, mushrooms grow, as, as do 99% of fungi, as a network of tissue of the network of mycelium. And at a certain point in their life cycle, the mycelium will condense and form the three-dimensional structure we call the mushroom. This structure is not a different organ. It's not a different tissue. As in plants, we have different organs and tissues. In humans, of course, it's all mycelium. It's condensed mycelium. But suddenly it's come out of this chaotic web, this white web typically, into a three-dimensional form with color, taste, textures, scents, etc., in compounds that aren't in my son. How it communicates with itself to, to do this and how it performs this incredible elaborative dance um, is completely unknown. We have not detected the hormone that causes the conversion, as you find in, in an organ development and in a fetus. There's hormones involved in these stages, same with plants. We can't find the chemicals. There's no chemical signals as far as we know. And they've looked really hard. Mm. Um, we also find in many cases, I've seen this in cultivation, we find in the wild where different, essentially siblings, the same uh, species, but different varietals or as with plants, but in mushrooms are called strains, two different networks of mycelium will, will weave together and form one shared mushroom. And you can actually get up to nine different strains they found weaving together to form one wow. shared mushroom. 
But again, no chemical communication for them to perform this in highly elaborate and complex dance. Mm. So how are they doing this? Well, it has to be some other form of communication that they're not looking for. And I don't think it's necessarily something on a fifth dimensional level. It might be as simple as, as a light communication system. And, mm. and it's known and, and was taboo for years and now is accepted that be, in, between our own body cells, between bacteria, there are low frequency light emissions known as, uh, in many cases, biophotons. And there's other terms for it. Well, there's only been very limited study on fungi and their light transmissions and light communication. Very interesting topic for me. Um, yeah. But it's but what's out there, and I cite it all in my book, and give you know what we can point towards. It seems very likely that this is a big part of how they intercommunicate or intracommunicate inside of their own networks from one end to the other of a web, but also between networks. And so we take this a step further, and we find that you know I can kind of go on, but there's many cases where two different species seem to be communicating in a way that we can't detect. And if we if we take this, uh, like I say, many steps further. And we understand we had that seeing fungi lens in a healthy woodland or desert setting. We have to imagine, okay, there's there's fungi everywhere in the soil. There's layers and there's innumerable species. Every plant is a matrix of trillions of fungi. So the, the fungi that live inside of a plant, it's not just one. It's it's going to be in the trillions inside of one individual. Well, how are they co coordinating all their work together and, and making sure that they you know keeping the plant healthy and the host and the soil and stuff? It's got to be some pretty complex communication. And, you know, when a leaf gets bitten in a tree over here, does the, the mycorrhizal mushroom way over there know about it? You know, is there is there some chain, daisy chain, but in, in incre incredible layers of complexity, right, that we can't even decode? I have no idea. I would certainly like to think so. Um, you know, might it be that in the future, just like in the movie, avatar where they they tap into essentially the mycorrhizal mycelial network of the, the forest <laughs> the bioluminescent mycelium and, and and learn about it that's they've evolved to do that can we do that someday with with a tool and mm. and read the, the the electrical signals that are coming through mycelium there, there are electrical signals they've detected these um, just really poorly studied the, the field of electromycology as i've termed it is i think one of the greatest frontiers of of growing mushrooms better on a practical level but also maybe assessing the whole environment in ways that we can't even necessarily imagine right now. What's interesting about this, this uh, term you mentioned dot uh, or, or forgive me, dot, yeah, misspoke. Yeah. yeah it's um, I think of fungi, not just as the, the neural network. Many people talk about mycelium as the woodwide web performing this sort of intelligent function of moving the nutrients and sculpting the land around us. But they're also in quite quite directly the circulatory system they are the heart of the forest mm. um they are moving the nutrients I mean, that's what the heart does um they're also like the lymphatic system they purge the toxins as part of their remediative function they're the connective tissue um they're they're literally holding and stabilizing the soil matrix building its structure in ways that bacteria initiate through their simple glues and then the mycelium and, and compounds and proteins the fungi produce build the structure even greater um so they are they're so much of the body of our planet in the skin of our planet the, the soil is is mycelium and the products they produce and the functions they perform is is largely attributable to them and this is why the our buscana mycorrhizal fungi the ones that don't form mushrooms um, are considered the most ecologically significant there's only 300 or so of those species 
relative to the roughly 2.3 million fungal species in the world. There's only 300 Arbuscular mycorrhizae, but we find them on every continent except Antarctica, interacting with upwards of 90 to 95% of all plants. Um, their relationship, the structure they formed, seemingly has not evolved for the in, for like you know it seemingly hasn't evolved since it first developed roughly 450 million years ago it's on the first plant root with fossil uh, plant first plant fossil with roots we have this arbuscular mycorrhizal relationship and essentially hasn't changed since then these fungi are some of the most unusual fungi for many reasons one is that their their spores contain anywhere from 800 to 35,000 distinct genetically distinct nuclei yeah that was amazing. most organism most fungi humans plants have one set of genetics one nucleus mm. uh, these fungi have upwards of thirty-five thousand, including the the genetics of other organisms and bacteria and other fungi i like to think of them as the the knowledge keepers of the soil and when and where and for how long have they been holding on to these genetic reserves and why do they do it and how is that that knowledge essentially distributed throughout the the forest that they work in things um, or any ecosystem that they work in what is it all you know what does it all mean is one question but just how does it even work is a more practical one and we don't know <laughs> you know these are the things that mycologists can sort of talk about but they don't really like to because it's just huge questions come from it that we cannot resolve and i think a lot of it is is the knowledge it's the communication and you know part of that in the long way it's the tending the care and 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 the you know the heart of it all Mm, mm, yeah, amazing. I, I I read actually a couple of articles about this bioluminescence from the uh, uh, mycorrhizae. Blown away, it's incredible. I saw the photos. I I wanted to um just uh, talk a little bit about mycologus. Um, and I understand that when you wrote the book, you really felt that there was like you mentioned uh, before in, in a couple of different areas online. I heard you say that um when you wrote the book, you felt there was a gap, and you just had to get that book out there. But as soon as you put it out there, you almost immediately shifted into into the next iteration which was opening the the micro uh, micro logos uh, school which you said was much like a goal much closer to your heart uh, i'm really i'm really curious how how that like uh, um how that felt when you sh when you shifted to um from the book when you kind of got the book done and then you were like uh, and then you're like okay now next it's the school what was what was that thing that inspired you to what was the thing that drove you to to do the to open up the school well the Writing the book came about because of after at that point, you know, ten years or so of studying mycology, maybe a little bit more, I forget. Um, I knew I knew enough to put together a sort of compendium. And my initial idea when I proposed the book, um, it was crowdfunded, was to and I sort of figured, oh, I could just sit down and basically put what I knew on the paper and that'd be pretty good and it'd be something that doesn't exist, sort of a bunch of things all together which is the book I'd always wanted growing up. I'd you know, read many different books and all the cool stuff was scattered everywhere. Mm. <coughs> Excuse me. But it was really when I sat down and was trying to find citations for things and diving deeper, um, lo and behold, there was a whole lot I didn't know and a whole lot that I had never read in any of these other books that was some of the most compelling buried in the most mm -hmm. technical journals that I had sort of just had on my bookshelf for for years at that point sort of oh, i'll get to it someday and well writing a book's good reason to get to it start to read these things <clears throat> thinking i wouldn't learn too much more maybe get some good citations and quotes whole worlds of information about fungi mm -hmm. that i'd never even heard of and from all these other you know books and authors and, and speakers so that the book ended up taking much longer than I anticipated because of that um and i told the, the backers i was crowdfunding i said you know 
you can get a refund if you want, but this is going to be a much big, bigger and better book. You just got to give me more time because it's, I had no idea what I was getting to. And, and rather, I'd rather do the knowledge service. I'd rather make this book really comprehensive and, and stand the test of time than just sort of push something out quick. And nobody asked for a refund. Everybody was really patient. It took, it took a good bit longer. But of course, along the way, I learned a ton. Um, and the book itself, though I'm quite proud of it, and it's large. It's really just it's a it's a collection of sh- essentially shorter essays. You know, there's a lot of how tos, but I'm only ba- barely scratching on the surface of so many things. And each chapter could be its own book. And it was, you know, that felt like that was enough to get people started. It was it was comprehensive. It covered, I thought, all the most important points I had come to after all these years. But each almost each topic in there could be further evolved into its own. Like I say book or small book or, or a long or short class, depending on the topic. And it was very clear to me. And I, and I knew so much more than I wrote down on those pages. Mm. And so getting the book out there was great. And I certainly could have sat down and, and maybe, and I plan to write many more books, but that's takes a long time. And also people nowadays, especially don't have so much time to read technical books and things. And the abilities that we have with online, um, you know, video technology nowadays is just unbelievable. So, um, and online learning, it's been popular. It just all made sense. Right. And so, um, and I've always loved teaching. That's always been my, my, since I was a kid, just sharing it for me. You asked my friends when I was a kid, I'd always tell you about, just try to teach you something. If you didn't want to know about it, I'd try to teach you as in my nature to share information. And, um, I have a background in media. I went to college uh, to study it for a few years in AV. So I'm comfortable mm-hmm. with the technology and, and the concepts and things. So uh, yeah, it all just seemed to line up properly. But here again, we have, I've had the same thing. So I've put out a few classes thus far. And not only was that a different format and sort of the possibilities through doing those classes sort of realized that there's uh, ways to teach and express than I've never really had possible um, in person and sort of the you know, the possibility is sort of endless almost with the technology. Uh, but also the student feedback has been really good in a lot of the insights and a lot of um, thoughts there that they never realized and suggestions and things. So right now, well, and sort of along with that, we've been uh, building up the, the, the space that I'm in, our, our, our school space, um, been building that, over, building that out over the last six months. Um, we have a small demonstration farm, um, building that all up things like this. And right now we're in sort of part of the studio video studio space, obviously. And mm-hmm. the the intention is to be putting out a bunch more classes uh, throughout the rest of the year, incorporating all the, the feedback and insights and sort of, uh, yeah, pushing the envelope even more. The idea with each of the classes is really just, my book is uh, not a required text for any of them. I mean, you're of course welcome to read it, but I'm, I'm going more to the heart of the matter. I'm suggesting the recommended reading. If you followed recommended reading is mm-hmm. my primary sources, you know, where I really learned it. We're going to go really deep into these things and you're going to know it. Like I know it is the intention wow. because it's not really my, my hope to just covet it all forever. You know, I, I want to do the knowledge service and again, not just sort of pump stuff out and, and sort of miss things and, and do it in a, in a not so clean way. Um, so that takes time, but at the end of it all, it's my hope that, this, these will be um, sets of in, sets of skills and um, uh, holistic means of presenting these really rich topics in ways that endure, that enable the, the student to then go on and share it easily and with confidence to to those around them. 
Mm-hmm. You know, um, once uh, uh, I've heard Zach Bush, I'm, I'm sure you're um, familiar with Dr. Zach Bush, he once gave an amazing fact in his, one of his lectures, he said, when you're learning from someone physically, I mean in person, uh, our gene expression is actually changing according somewhat from, from that influence of being around that person. I mean, that being said, um, you know, the power of being able to learn digitally is very hard to ignore. It's, it's a, I've personally transformed and shifted many things myself from knowledge that I learned or was triggered online. I learned many, many things, you know, many courses and everything online. Um, this, how, how effective for you, I mean, you just mentioned also you're developing like a demonstration farm. How effective do you, is it for the digital, like from your feedback from your, from your students, how effective is the digital platform for your work and, and as a medium of education? Uh, well, I mean, that's, I'm not surveying every student, so it's a little bit hard to say. I mean, a lot of them are saying that they like it. I mean, they're, they're really enjoying <laughs> it. I guess the, the the biggest part of the feedback or or the way that I'm getting a sense of how um, it's working for folks is um, you're welcome to just take the class, but for no additional cost, if you fulfill a, a list of portfolio requirements and submit a final portfolio, some reading assignments, a uh, community engagement project, and also typically, depending on the class, a few hands-on activities. Uh, write a you know a short review of doing it, some photos, evidence that you did it. These these types of things, mm-hmm. um, you'll get a certificate of completion from Michael Logos, um, attesting to the work that it took to accomplish that. Also passing several exams that are not necessarily that easy. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and people are are doing that work, and the the portfolios are actually just starting to come in. I think people have sort of um, you know they they have a lot of time to access the class, so there's not like a hard deadline and as you find in other formats we give them a year access uh, but some of the portfolios are coming in and people are doing some really incredible work the um, some of the ecological uh, studies students are are you know taking some of the ideas and running with them um, so I think you know it's it's like with any class some people are, are heavily engaged some are um, maybe it's not so much what they expected that type of thing but um yeah, I mean, I I would hope that they're they're, they're digging. I mean, we're, we're putting in a lot of work. Um, yeah, I mean, I think yeah. the information is definitely there. Um, for me, uh, I've always been a, a talker, along with being a teacher, and so it's not hard for me to expound upon anything related to mycology. And, and really, part of where I like to go, although I try to hone it in to a pretty good degree, is not just saying, here's the fact, here's the fact, but let's put it in context and let's think about it from this perspective so we can relate to it differently. Uh, what does it imply for this other aspect of human activity or, or natural uh, phenomena? Um, so, yeah, I mean, I would like to think that the way that I present these topics is quite different from how I learned it, um, usually very narrow um, very much just hard science, really limited if if any context were ever provided. Um, and certainly not a, a modern, you know, social and sometimes maybe political a little bit. I don't like to bring the politics too heavy to something that's um, you know, not meant to be too politically motivated. But, you know, that's, that's what we live in. Yeah. And things are happening around us. There's national foreign policies that affect the world, affect the soil, affect how we, you know, yeah preserve natural resources so we need to be thinking about that think about the climate all this stuff and so um i think that's where i, I definitely deviate a bit from your standard textbook uh to a pretty good degree with as far as mycology goes is just going out into um in this greater context trying to open your mind not just about mycology but maybe a little my other personal interest a little my bias creeps in there here and there and 
you know, as with any teacher, take it or leave it type of thing. Um, but yeah, and then just trying to keep it fun and interesting. I mean, there's a lot of classes where some online classes I've taken where there's, it's not as dynamic and there's, it's, um, um, you know, and that's, that's the biggest challenge is trying to just keep the engagement because it's not in person, you don't get that human to human relationship. But the hope and the plan is definitely to do a lot of in-person stuff as well. Definitely right now we're not able to do that. It's a little uncertain for the rest of the year. So nothing is booked, but it's going to be, you know, full steam ahead next year of translating the, the online classes into much more in depth in, in long form in person, uh, you know, events and, um, you know, weeks long, um, trips and these types of things, really deep dives, full immersive courses, hands-on these types of things that you can't get online. So those will be options in the future. Right now we're, um, just refining and honing the curricula, uh, which will accompany all these things. I, I personally, I find the, the, the digital uh, um, courses, the quality of the digital courses that are coming out in this space today is just incredible. It's like really something else. And, and I, when, I, when I went through uh, um, your course, um, now you're developing the website again, but before that, when I went through the course, it was just a, a, like, it's so exciting, just the, you're going through the different uh, levels and everything. And it really looks like to me like a, it's a very mycelial kind of approach, you know, very eclectic and very, it's not, it didn't look dry at all. So, um, but you know, really, uh, Peter, you, you really look like a pretty strong entrepreneur and I don't, I don't know if anyone's ever like gone into those things with your budget before, but is that something you've always, a side of you that's always, um, that's always interested the entrepreneurial side, you've got a lot of projects going on or is that something you had to develop along the way or could you share a little bit of that side of your journey? Yeah. I mean, um, you know, I guess entrepreneurial implies wanting to be, um, make a bunch of money or something like that. I don't know. That's where my mind goes with that word. Not necessarily. Um, I guess be successful, have a, you know, comfortable life, whatever. I've just been, uh, my whole life, I've just had a million pots stirring. I mean, if you ask anybody, <laughs> so it's just my, in my nature, um, I'm a pretty high energy person. Um, my mind is always going a million places at once. I got lots of ideas all the time. Um, I try to keep that simmered. You know, you don't really see it as much, but there's a lot going on. Um, yeah, that's just uh, that's just how I operate. Um, like I said, I, I like to think of myself more as a creative. It's just always been my nature to be a, to create. Um, for me, I see doing this work in mycology as a means of shifting culture, and it's a mm-hmm. form of art. It's my art. Um, I mean, I have a strong illustrative photography, um, music and, and AV background, but this is, uh, and, and I love doing those arts and those are my meditations, but this is in, you know, a lot of my art historically was more, it was, yeah, as with many per- artists personal and it was meant to express and I don't know, get things out and maybe change the world, the viewer and things. Um, this just has so much more potential to do that in a way that I, um, you know, just feel really good about. And, and then that, the potential to reach people, to, to share, to say essentially what I want. And apparently people aren't too turned off by that is, is nice. Um, to try to provide these unusual perspectives and, or just help you again, think differently, all that. That's always been in my nature in all my types of art. It's always, most of my art usually pretty unusual. And, um, you know, th- through the, uh, through that first step is saying, okay, well, people like this one thing. I'm, I want to try to do this other thing and maybe they'll, they'll like the drawing I made or the, you know, these other 
um, physical objects and making it, some of the stuff that's in the pipe. There's a lot of other things in the pipe that are also just more functional, also just more um, some other eclectic hobbies. I can't really, I'm being vague intentionally, but things that we're trying to develop and build. Um, I also like to work with my hands and design things, physical designs. Um, and so there's things that we're designing here that hopefully someday will, will come to bear. Um, so that just stimulates a different part of my mind rather than just always being in the books and, or under a microscope or, or in the lab. Um, those, those are all interesting. Those are skills that I'm very comfortable with now. Um, it's mostly about trying to, a lot of, a lot of what I produce is, is an, uh, almost a side effect of me trying to further develop myself and to be more, um, holistic as a person, um, mm. more skilled, just, just to be skilled. I mean, I think it's just, there's value in that, um, to know how to do things and to be uh, autonomous if need be, or helpful to others. If people need help, uh, those close to me or, or what have you, you never know what's going to happen tomorrow. So that's, uh, sort of my, just general motivation. I'm, I'm a lifelong learner. I've always been an autodidact. I mean, I dropped out of high school and college and I'm not ashamed to admit that because they were too slow and boring for me. I just was, <laughs> I was, I was at the top of all my classes and I just, was just, I just couldn't keep, I was not entertained. And so I left and I pursued my own things. Um, and yeah, and I'll, I'll always be that way. I mean, I don't, it's not so much about so much about a, the money is not the motivation. It's how do I create the best thing? And it, it sort of, of encompasses the feeling I'm going for. And like with any artist, it's never good enough. Um, obviously at a certain point you have to call it like with my book, I could have gone on for ages um, and it was never good enough. And there's stuff I'd like to change and I'll make a second edition someday. Um, but I know it's good enough for, you know, for now. And um, as with anything, so that that's, I feel really lucky and really blessed to be able to, to, have the space to put stuff out and people people receive it and like it mm. um as with any artist you'd feel lucky to be able to if i had pursued my illustration you know path and i was able to just keep getting jobs doing illustrations that's what i loved i would feel really lucky to have that opportunity this is something i never chose i never imagined when i first started teaching that i would go on to start a school or anything like that um, i just it's about taking chances you know you never know if i had never taken that chance i would have you know I don't really live with regret, but I would have always wondered what if I had tried and, you know, I'll put out these classes and I mean, I'm, you know, 80 hours a week and all this stuff pretty much constantly. And if at the end of all people don't really like it, um, yeah, at least I, I put the work in, I mean, even the original zine I did, that was pretty much, I did nothing else for six months, but put together this little zine. And that was the first time trying to wrap my head around something. And, um, apparently that's in my nature. And, um, a lot of people over the years, one well, of my friends and stuff just uh, wasn't, we had different work ethics or different different <laughs> ways of going about it. They thought I kind of overworked. And I was like, no, this is exciting. It's just like, I can't wait to see what it becomes. Mm. And I know after it's going to take a lot of work, but at the end, it'll be done and it'll be great. I mean, that's, and it'll stand the test of time or at least some amount of time. Um, I'd rather something endure than it be sort of sloppy and, and something I'm not really proud of. Um, and that's just based on, you know, other artists, mentors, thinkers, writers, all the people I'm inspired by, um, you know, some of my creative musicians, clearly their work was just yeah, was unbelievable effort for a three minute song, this type of thing. So, and that's the stuff I, I appreciate the most. And, and then as I've been starting to do it, I, it seems that other people appreciate the, 
when I put, when I put, I can, I know when I don't put enough time into something and how people respond to it. And when I put a lot of time into it and really think it through and people respond to it stronger. How how important is is your team uh, to you, um, Peter? Because uh, you, you must have a team behind you in all this. It sounds like a lot of, uh, of things you've uh, have going on. How, how important is it for you to get that team meshed? I mean, it's as important as um, I mean any project. I mean, <laughs> I kind of can't understate understate the uh, importance of having good support systems. Mm. Um, I mean, a lot of the stuff I'm producing, it is primarily generated and, and designed and developed by myself. Mm. Um, I do have people helping with some of the research and finding some stuff here and there and some okay. of the more administrative things, but, um, it really is. I mean, this has become very clear that it's not that I'm the only person that understands mycology in the world, but there's very few, um, that do understand it fairly well. I mean, it's just people that are uh, my age or younger or older, I mean, regardless, most people, because they can't study it, because there's nowhere to really study in the depths that I've tried to take it to, um, I've been hard pressed to, to find many people that, to not that I can work with, that are just like available to work or aren't somewhere else, or that I just haven't, you know, I haven't really crossed paths with. So that's, I mean, it's a huge motivation just so I don't have to be the one that knows all this, feels like I'm one of the few people that knows this much stuff. I want more people to know all this stuff so then I can sit back and be happy that the, the information isn't dying. I mean, I met, I've met my colleagues, elders over the years that, uh, you know, not so long ago were afraid that their science was going to die before it even begun because in, in the university level, it's not very funded. Uh, there's hardly any mycology departments in the world, the funding's going away. So there's, there's that's, that's a whole other topic that the science is actually in some degree of risk potentially. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's part of my motivation as well. But regardless, kind of going back to your question, I, I mean, I am doing the the bulk of the, the work. A lot of the a lot of the stuff that I'm producing is has um, mm. come from from my my forethought. But uh, you know, like I say, over the years, I meet a lot of people that in, in recent years, more people that are knowing more. Um, and then it's just you know, personalities clicking and making sure that the the flow is good. Everybody's on the same level and the vibes are high and. Um, you know, I'm, I like to joke around a lot. So just, you know, we all got to have a good sense of humor type of thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, you got to have friends. You got to be, you know, have reason. I, I don't want to just be in some dark hole writing about mycology until in, under candlelight. And that's all that matters. You know, it's uh, got to have people around you to remember and why it matters. Um, both mm-hmm. the people you're teaching, but also, you know, you're, my friends and peers that they're learning things and teaching me things. And it reminds me like, Oh yeah, that is really interesting. I don't know. Um, yeah, we're social animals. I mean, can't deny that fact. Definitely. Definitely. But before we, uh, before we, um, uh, get, get towards the end of our interview, I really wanted to ask you, I didn't want to miss out the opportunity to ask you what, what is so special to you about, um, the micro remediation project that you're in. It's a, it's a fascinating subject for me, micro remediation. And I know it's something we could probably do like a whole, you know, you could do a whole interview just on that. But just briefly, what's what's the, could you could you share with us a bit, what's the amazing thing about uh, about bioremediation, especially the project you're involved in, in in Chicago? Well, yeah, microremediation is a broad term used to encompass several different applications of, of fungal physiology and biology. And one of the most remarkable is that fungi as great, great decomposers with the ability to break down lignin, nature's most complex compound with what makes wood hard and rigid. 
can be and has been found to be translated quite easily to many of the persistent compounds and toxins that humans have invented that, as far as we know, the Earth had never seen before. And yet fungi can break down through the same mechanisms that they used to break down wood. Mm-hmm. And that has been shown time and again in the lab for many decades, but has been rarely applied in the field and when done so with limited degrees of success primarily due to the fact that the environment is there's many variables um and also that we the, the person applying the fungi needs to be able to cultivate them tend them to some de- tend tend to them to some degree um whereas industrial remediation mechanisms of scraping up the soil and burning it or tossing in a landfill is much simpler and so the the installs are more site-based when we're thinking about going in in situ or going to a site and they're, they're so they're not off the shelf uh easy to follow this has been one of the hindrances and sort of criticisms but at the same time there's great potential uh, fungi can break down chemicals many chemicals very easily and so there there has to be some way to apply this where where we can at least get some of it we not we not but might not be able to treat every single oil spill um you know the oil spills just shouldn't happen that's the first way to stop them or to treat them but where they do when other chemical spills happen what can we do with fungi to to try to treat that um so a lot of the work has been a lot of the discussion over the years has been looking at um going to a spill going to a site and try to treat it there well the work we're doing microcycle is actually trying to gather um and working with different um, industries, we're taking their waste streams and treating it before it goes to a landfill. So it's not so much going uh, to an, uh, an install or a, a disaster site just yet. I mean, that's certainly something we hope to do more in the future, but it's not really the lowest hanging fruit. It's, there's a lot of problems there. It's been mm. one of the biggest hurdles to science. And we need a way to speed up the science and advance it as quick as possible um, to give it more credence and to you know get, get help help the rubber finally hit the road with it it's been a quite a lot of talk with it and excitement for 20 plus years and there's been people that have done some interesting things just the reason it hasn't really become common practice is because these and other uh barriers that i mentioned so what we're looking at is a different approach is going to some of the biggest waste producing industries and that fungi producing waste that fungi could uniquely tackle and uh, trying to capture that before it goes to a landfill, remediate it and turning it into something uh, new. Maybe it'll. We're hoping to get to the point where we can be producing uh, potentially some degree of growing medium for plants that's safe and healthy, depending on the waste stream. Um, that's that's one of the things we're certainly looking for, but also potentially um, other remediative uh, results. You know, I can't really speak too much at this point. Yeah. One thing I can say: one of our biggest industries is and one of the most exciting and is the uh asphalt impregnated roofing materials industry now i was approached by joanne the company's founder um, because she had been working in the sustainable roofing industry for 30 years and she learned about my work through her permaculture design teacher when she asked if if he knew of remediation person who might know how to help him try to grow mushrooms on roofing shingles because that is roughly a quarter of the the landfill space in the U.S. and I think roughly in the world is is roofing materials. I had no idea. It's one of the greatest, most polluted uh, materials in the world. It's demolition materials, but especially the asphalt asphalted materials. And, and so her teacher pointed her towards me because I had made a video a number of years ago showing in just a few minutes how I trained oyster mushrooms to grow on cigarette butts. And cigarette filters, cigarette butts are the the most polluted 
uh, object in the world by individuals. It's the most common pollutant in the oceans. They're yeah. sponges essentially filled with thousands of toxic chemicals that leach out into the rivers and creeks when people throw them out their car window. And so she saw that video. She contacted me and essentially said, well, Peter, was that successful? Sorry to interrupt. Was that successful? Your, your, your experiments with uh, growing on, on cigarette butts? Uh, yeah. And, and many people have actually repeated that experiment. There's some people that have done it as sort of their college, you know, thesis. Um, <laughs> they just did the cigarette. They repeated what I did or sort of elaborated, definitely elaborated upon it, had greater access to lab testing and, you know, time and again, have now not a handful of people have contacted me and they've done their whole, you know, um, uh, graduate programs or, or, uh, or final projects okay. and things on, on it. And yeah, significant reduction. I mean, from, you know, wow. thousands of parts per million down to less than 10 type of thing. Wow. Um, so you were saying, you were saying. So, so anyway, so we, uh, so she contacted me and essentially we've been developing methods and, and trialing fungi to, to work on these uh, materials that again are one of the biggest pollutants uh, sort of on large scale industrial pollutants, waste streams in the world. And here in the States, and I imagine again, other places as well, landfills are increasingly turning away roofing materials because they just, they know that they can't take them. They're filling space too much. So the roofing industries are, uh, have no idea what they're going to be doing in a few years with all this stuff. Um, there's no real good alternative that's been detected. Um, it kind of has to go somewhere, but of course nothing just goes away. Um, so we are, uh, so she, brought this to my attention i never never knew about this never thought about it and so we're we started there um we're rapidly she's uh, a bit of a wizard or a magical person into herself really knows her her stuff and is reaching a crowd a crowd across um, many industries and making lots of connections so stuff the traction is um, moving forward really quickly to take an approach to remediation that was never my initial interest i've always been a more grassroots you know kind of the do it with the people for the people type of thing. Mm -hmm. And, and that was always my thought is, and that's where like radical mycology is the thing started many years ago is let's, that was our first thrust is let's teach everybody microremediation to heal the planet. Mm -hmm. And the reason I had to peel back on that is because that was so many more steps ahead of the average person who actually didn't even know what fungi were. <laughs> so, so before I can teach, um, are you able to hear me? Did I cut yeah, out? Yeah, no, you're good. You're good. You're okay. good. Okay. Uh, one of my headphones died. So the, um, and so for many years, it's been sort of a trying to keep that message going. We, we can all do remediation. We can all learn it and apply it. Um, but you know, most people just on the time, there's a lot of money with the testing is one of the biggest hurdles. And so while I do fully support encourage and look forward to a sort of grassroots remediation movement, it's just, I think it's just still not, not going to happen anytime soon. Mm -hmm. So for me personally, it's been interesting to sort of shift men mental gears and be like, okay, that's still a big part of my heart, but really to move the science forward, we're going to go this more industrial approach, something I, I don't have experience with, but she has lots of experience with mm -hmm. and making the connections and, and, and people with lots of resources and space and funding to do large scale experiments, mm -hmm. um, you know, and investors, that type of thing. Mm -hmm. And she's handling the business of it. You know, I'm, I'm the science guy and, um, we, we get along wonderfully. And so we're on the same level about a lot of stuff. And, and so it's been, it's been really, you know, we're like kind of like odd couple in some ways. It's been a really synergistic combination. She's really brilliant with what she's doing. Um, and she's building up a great team as well. It's not just the two of us. So that's, there's a lot of prospects there, of course, with the slowdowns and things, things have been delayed a bit this year, but yeah. we're, 
uh, looking to really do some some large scale stuff starting this year and I mean, into the coming years, but starting towards the end of this year. Mm. So that's uh, I haven't. Yeah, it's funny you picked up on it. I haven't really spoken too much about it publicly, just because things have just been slowly in the works. But um, she's done a few interviews. She's done quite a lot of um, uh, entered a lot of sort of uh, I guess funding. Um, uh, I don't know what you call them, like basically different uh, trials and, and not a well, contest for lack of a better word, but it's not quite a contest. One of them was by the UN and, you know, I think we ranked third or fourth or something. Wow. I mean, kind of wow. across the board, the technology that we're proposing is is pretty revolutionary for its potential to transform many major waste streams mm. um, into something more viable via fungal cultivation. So, uh, yeah, I have to be a little bit vague. I would just point, point everybody towards Michael Cycle's website and some of the interviews joanne has done for maybe some more details but yeah something to keep an keep an eye out on for sure um, mm, mm, amazing 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 um i've just got a few uh, small questions from uh, from some of the listeners one of them is about trichoderma is trichoderma is something that you use for bioremediation maybe not so much for the toxic but i mean more for like agricultural context it's not so hardcore heavy metals or something but just like to to purify the the area a bit or something is that is that something that's a uh, is that something that's affecting yeah, that? So, well, yeah, trichoderma is a genus of molds, ascomycotin molds, that are pretty common around the world. Uh, they're some of the more familiar green, olive green, not so pretty looking molds. Uh, that's the color of their spores. But yet they are powerhouse chemists, um, as many molds are, but these ones especially sort of on two fronts. One in their uh, cellulasic activity, so they're able to break down cellulose. Uh, quite effectively. So as an addition to a compost pile, they're often called a fungal compost activator. They'll speed up mm -hmm. decomposition rates pretty quickly, more at the cellulose than with like a lignin material, but they can speed it up by a few weeks there um, in the aerated compost. And then on the other end, they are actually quite powerful um, uh, fungi attacking fungi. So in the soil, they're sort of a check and balance and they'll, they'll kill off other, other, uh, other fungi. They actually their mycelium will wrap around the mycelium of the other fungus and through their own chitinases, they break through the chitin wall of the fungus and penetrate into the mycelium of the, the other one and then travel through it and suck out their juices. Wow. So they're pretty, pretty <laughs> intense uh, molds. Um, pretty cool. It, it's, it's, it's kind of ironic because I've always been told, or I was always told to, to fear them, to dislike them because they are one of our common problems in the mushroom farm. Yeah. They're the mold most commonly growing on our mushrooms attacking them but yet they're super critical in the soil and as a mold that eats most anything they're easy to cultivate um there's a lot of protocols you can pretty easily look up um, to to grow them on wheat bran things like this really simple uh, nitrogen materials and then apply them to your compost or apply them to your annuals when you're planting out if you have especially wow. root rot problems and other uh, root mm -hmm. pathogens uh, where the mycorrhizal networks can't be built up to pr provide the shield that they naturally do because you're tilling, you know, by need, then adding trichoderma as a sort of yearly amend amendment is certainly something worth trying. There's a lot of research. It's very common in, in India. Um, I would love to go to India someday and just see how they're working with trichoderma. Uh, I think a lot of the research is coming out of there. Mm -hmm. um, and, and some commercial products here in the States have trichoderma too, sort of the, but a lot of the products here with fungi it's just sort of a mixed bag of every fungus that's ever been studied it's not so targeted <laughs> um but yeah you it's i mean there's protocols i mean again it's sort of extra steps to learn but there are ways to even just take your local soil you can actually you'd have to get a little bit of basic basic lab setup 
um, which can be done with plastic tubs and things. Sometimes be elaborate, but um, separate the put your soil onto petri dishes that have a specific media that helps select out the trichoderma, and then you can mm-hmm. remove the trichoderma, get the basically pure like, trichoderma, grow that on the wheat bran, and then after just a few days or a week, you'll get a big bag of green stuff, not so pretty, um, <laughs> and then mix that in your soil, mix that in your your soil or in your compost or in your soil. Wow, wow. So do you, do you detail it, um, that, that in your book? Do you detail those kind of the, the things with trichoderma in your book? I do, yeah. Yep. Okay, fantastic, fantastic. So um, also, I'm just really curious. I know that you're quite um, popular with you as KNF, Korean Natural Farming. And uh, I'm, I'm just wondering if you know about the, the IMO preparations. There's a question from someone. The IMO preparations, um, if, you've, if you're aware of like what kind of, uh, I mean, I just thinking about it, I thought probably it's like ecto, more ecto mycorrhizae or it's, it's a sweet. What, what's your opinion on the, on the IMO preparation? Like uh, what, what's going on in there? Yeah, unfortunately, I only got, I knew of um, IMOs as a thing when I was writing my book, but I didn't really look into it. Mm-hmm. And I unfortunately assumed based on the name that it was more bacterial, uh, yeah. a bacterial product. Yeah. Uh, you're mostly just growing wild molds as I've come yeah. to learn. So the, and so I've studied a good, a little bit since, but I haven't dove, dove too deep into it. <laughs> and I've talked to a number of practitioners and my number one question is, well, what fungi are you actually growing? I mean, I've watched the videos. I know how to, do it in, in theory yeah. um, seems pretty straightforward, but yeah, you're essentially growing yeah, other microorganisms, but at least to start, you see, you see the mycelium there. I mean, there's other stuff there as well. Um, but as far as I know, as far as I've been told by some of the people that are seem to be pretty experienced and knowledgeable that they haven't really looked at which fungi are there. They're just kind of getting whatever molds show up and, and in the environment, it's going to be probably a different uh, collage. Mm. So that's my first question, you know, just the real basics, who's there and, you know, from there, what are they doing individually? That's not so much the, the question of the practitioner because they just want a, a good outcome, which they're getting, which is great. Yeah. But my question is, you know, if we're fine, if we do a more refined study, if all these IMO growers around the world actually uh, figure out, do some sequencing on the fungi and we're finding, you know, these three species are in every IMO mix. Well, that's something to know about, right? We'd all want mm-hmm. to have I don't know what that would mean or or that's a starting place, I guess, for the next experiment and looking at them individually and then synergistically and without the other organisms in the IMO. And, um, you know, obviously we don't know what would come from that. That's sort of science. You're starting somewhere. But that's uh, that's about as much as I can say. That's my big question, really, the IMOs is I, I wish they were a little bit more refined in the species as far as I've seen. Um, I'm sure that'll, I, I would hope that it would get there someday. Um, and definitely, it seems by all accounts to be a, a worthy pursuit. It just takes some time to make the stuff. But I, I'm not familiar with any negative um, yeah. studies or any people having negative effect from from doing the work. Yeah, I've I've I've, uh, I've seen really amazing results. KNF is something I've got into quite quite recently in a big way. Like we had Chris Trump on the show recently. I, I direct you if you ever wanted to ask any questions about because he actually did DNA sequencing with a. Um, MIT uh, somewhere in, in his farm in Hawaii and they, they went through I don't know how how thorough it was but I mean it was very uh, he was very invested in in, in uh, doing some uh, doing some heavy studies over there so I definitely um, okay. recommend checking him out Chris Trump yeah, great so I am uh, uh, Peter Peter um, best and worst day of your life oh the best and worst day <laughs> uh Oh man, I don't know. Um, every day is the best and most. <laughs> That's not true. Um, 
wow, you're putting me on the spot. I don't know. Um, you could say most transformational day if you want. Um, I don't, man. Well, I'm just trying to bring it back to mycology. It might not necessarily be just that. Um, well, the, one of the worst days, I don't know, probably one of the worst days is um, when my book, the day my book was set to come out or right around the time my book was coming out, there was actually some big issues with the printer. And it was just like a whole, I actually had a huge problem with the the printers um, as the entrepreneurial learning hurdle there, um, <laughs> learning about printers um, so as a self-publisher. And so the day of my book, after years of putting blood, sweat and tears in the thing, it came out, it was sort of, I had got this crushing blow from them. And wow. so that was sort of a, a pretty, pretty rough day. Um, I remember that pretty vividly. Um, but also, I mean, I guess one of the best days was also, I guess then conversely, one of my, uh, a, a big day, I mean, just in a similar vein was in a month or two later, I did a release party in portland and we did like a little event and um you know i had like my friend wear a funny outfit and do act like an mc and my other friend did a interesting performance um it was at a community space here in portland and there was a good turnout and it was just sort of you know that bad day was a little bit behind me and i was like okay i've done this thing and i i could be pretty happy about it so mm-hmm. and i think that was the first time it was more publicly on sale it was selling through the website but I was the first sort of public sale and there's tons of people and it was just sort of, you know, I basically spent the, the previous two years staring at a screen pretty, pretty intensely. Um, and sort of, you kind of lose track of, of everything. Um, I mean, I wouldn't do it again in that way. So, uh, so long-term, I mean, it was, it was worth it in a way, but it was also sort of not the best approach. So, <laughs> um, yeah, sort of seeing it all sort of come to fruition, be like, okay, it actually was worth it to to make this thing. Sort of going back to what I said earlier, it's like I don't even know why I'm doing these things. Sometimes I just have to do it and get it done. And then that was one of those moments, like, okay, this is why I did this. Mm-hmm. And tell me, uh, Peter, do you have uh, you uh, do you feel uh, um, uh, uh, hopeful and, and and positive about like um, uh, where where we're uh, going, like in terms of ecology, in terms of connection with each other, and connection with back back with nature? Are you are you positive? Do you feel positive about that direction? A potential i mean yeah i mean you got well yes um i'm an optimist at heart sometimes to um in practical degrees but i'm i've always been an optimist and i i do believe in the um the goodness of people i think that it's any much of the problem you might see around us is due to being individuals or groups of people in general being ill-informed, um, misled, held back and told that they're less than what they truly are, can oh. be. And that's just a, a really sad state of our education system and the way that Western society and in most societies, uh, most civilized, you know, industrial societies have, have developed narratives around what our children are meant to believe and things. And I think that's, that, that can be changed. It's been changed myself through simply changing how I think learning things. Um, understanding where I've been misled and actively working to correct those errors in my logic. And I'm, uh, I'm a different person kind of every day. People that have known me for a long time, I'm different, very different than I was five years ago, incredibly different than I was 10 years ago. Um, and that's been not just because of mycology, but, but really mycology in many ways has led me to look at uh, philosophy, psychology, um, so many other things, and then really taking them all to heart and incorporating what I've learned to help myself out and 
you know, I've seen how that's helped me and some of the stuff I've, that's been most helpful for me. I've, tr- I've shared with close people to me, um, some of the most important stuff I've learned along the way, uh, not related to mycology and seeing how it's helped them grow and heal and things and become very different people, um, dramatically different. And, and I would, I would think healthier and happier people through just learning something that they didn't know was out there, a line of thought, uh, a technique for, for self-work, things like this. So we take that to a societal level. And if, if only people um, had, you know, maybe a cleaner mirror to look into and um, different models to, to follow different role models, all this kind of stuff, I think it's pretty, would be easy to kind of turn things around. It's just so many ways that the the system and the media and, and all these things we don't like uh, or might choose to not like um, mm-hmm. work against us. And if if those weren't in in our path, in our way, I think humans and society in general would be um, something we can't even imagine now. I mean, it's interesting. Most people, myself included, I mean, maybe I should say for years, you know, you sort of, you don't learn to think in context. You don't learn about history as a sequence of events, but as just a discoherent web of, of factoids, you don't really understand how things happen. And once you start to really understand how how we've come to be where we are on a holistic level, and, uh, broad areas of thought, and how individuals and one person or groups can make huge shifts in culture and society, and how uh, we've gotten to where we are just because of X, Y, and Z, but that doesn't mean it was inevitable or that it's the only way. And that, you know, the way that we live or the way that we design the world is just one of a million possibilities. It's something I believe is very true. How can we start to tap into some of those other possible um, paradigms? You know, and that's a massive question. I don't really have the answer for, and I don't think mycology is, is the single tool, but again, it might open your mind for it. Uh, that's again, sort of going back to what I think I said quite a while ago. That's really one of my deepest motivations. It's not just teaching the skills. There's that value for sure. And that's something we can all get around, but I would hope that maybe for some, there's a byproduct of this other deeper shift that leads towards them changing the way that they might live or think about themselves, how they treat others. Um, and ultimately how they go on to shift their little piece of subculture or, or mainstream culture, however they live. And, you know, butterfly effect. Uh, we don't know how that's going to to influence. And the only way that I can uh, contribute to that is just being true to myself, um, sort of saying it how I think it, um, maybe trying to do it and say it in a way that you haven't quite heard before and spice it up a little bit. Um, and just, I mean, and then all along the way, hope for the best. You know, if I was to be like that person i mentioned earlier you know sort of like a nihilist and think that nothing mattered i mean it'd be pretty hard to get out of of bed um much less pursue something that wasn't entirely self-centered um so yeah it's it's hard i mean doing like i said i I am actually fairly invested Uh, much of my time it goes into this work even though i don't say publish much online or something like that promote talk about myself a lot i'm actually doing quite a lot all the time um and it can be hard to to see the light at the end of the tunnel some days because you're sort Mm -hmm. of swamped and or sort of overwhelmed and it's a choice uh, for sure but it's also uh, and then some days i'll remember well the reason i started doing it the reason i continue to put in so much work is it's not just about me and what i'll get out of it um it's that i know that it's very needed and that and for all the reasons we've, we've been discussing and that 
if I just stop now because I'm burnt out and I say, well, it's not worth it. And people don't really care or, or whatever negative thought I might have in a moment. Um, I'm losing sight of, of decades to come and, and the, the realization that we need new ways to, to think about the world and be in the world. We need new paradigms. We need to think differently. And I really think that a lot of the models we've been told, even some of the more alternative models we've, we've been, you know, the different types of um, activist work that I've been involved in or, or seen, you know, it really hasn't worked. And I think it's been, some of them have been short-sighted. Not to say that the work that's being done today or or has been done in various types of political and social movements hasn't been worthwhile. I just, you know, we haven't gotten the great changes we've all been wanting. And so and we see that time and time again, and it's like, well, what's missing? I don't necessarily know, but maybe it comes back to something deeper and it's more... Uh, uh, nebulous and maybe it's more philosophical and these types of things that we don't talk about more psychological, which is a dirty word to some people, you know, these types of things. Um, and what do we need to do to, to shake it up and really try something different? Um, I mean, I have even bigger thoughts about this, of course, and I could go even longer, but that's just a starting place. And I think these are the basic questions we could all start maybe asking ourselves of uh, why haven't the things we've been told worked out the way that we've been told no matter what mm-hmm. it is whether you're an activist or or somebody pursuing nine to five you know why is it not working out the way i was told there's and i think if we question our reality more uh, not just like our metaphysical physical reality but just like the, the world that we accept around us it's like the movie the matrix right you know so if we accept the world we see and we don't question it that that's why people love that movie um and i love it too but it's, it's really true. We don't really question it. And if we start to, uh, nobody knows where that could lead us. And that's, and that's my greatest hope. You know, I love movies like that. I love I'm a big movie buff also. And movies that are kind of in that nature of, of um, helping you, helping you shift your way of thinking. And it's, I think movies are, that's a whole other topic, but I think a really great tool for helping just the general person think about and see the world differently mm-hmm. uh, because of the nature of the art. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. yeah, ultimately I am, I am optimistic. It's hard, right. When there's uh, you know, disaster after um, fire, but it, they, they say, you know, this too shall pass and um, there will always be tomorrow. You know, I've always said that no matter what, you know, the fungi will always be here, even after the <laughs> humans um, disappear, we move off planet or whatever happens and kill ourselves. <laughs> the fungi have persisted through all the great extinctions. You can look at the fossil record and it's fungi that dominate the planet when everything else is is more or less perished and so they'll they'll continue to be here they'll continue to do their work and and build the soil for the next generation which is what they've always done hmm. so if there's if there's anything there's hope in that but i have hope in humans too i'm not a fatalist i don't think that good. um we need less humans or anything like that i think we just need more educated more um holistic humans Mm, mm, mm. last question peter how important is it for you individual freedom and personal responsibility big words i know but you know i mean no they're they're incredibly important um yeah i mean i i take full accountability for my own work i mean i think it's i I mean i don't want to get too pedantic but it's just uh i think it's another sort of cultural issue something I've, i've come to think about a lot is um there's this phrase by one of my favorite mentors, a, a kind of critic slash um, promoter of, of education systems, John Taylor Gatto. And one of the things he said, some of the interviews is that 
most people today they grow up but they never they grow old but they never grow up and we don't mm-hmm. we don't really <laughs> mature mentally and in a big part of that is we never really learn true responsibility um mm-hmm. you know nowadays kids are coddled so hard they don't scrape a knee you know this type of thing that we might critique um but they don't they don't have to go milk the cow and if they don't milk the cow at four then everybody's gonna be hungry this type of thing like the, that type of real deep responsibility is not ingrained in most kids yeah. most people and myself included i mean i didn't i didn't have responsibility for a long time so when i made that shift and said i need to take account i can't just blame the government i can't just blame the, the system or or people outside of my i can only take responsibility for my own actions and the situation in my life and my mental state and all this kind of stuff um that was i mean that was one of the things i was alluding to before sort of that realization it's like and you've heard it maybe before is that nobody's uh, to blame for your life except for you um <laughs> some people that, that's uh obviously everybody's different backgrounds and there's different cultural contexts that can heavily influence how you think and how you know how to think about yourself. But depend you know, for a lot of people, especially in the West, I mean, we do have the potential. There is a potential. It might be much harder for some than others to lift yourself up and to, to maybe have a better life than your neighbors um, tell you, you can. And that's a bit of a loaded topic, but it's something I really do firmly believe. And there's many examples of that throughout history um, in, in recent history. And it starts with taking responsibility, not just blaming others, waiting for the, the government to do it for you or something. Um, so yeah, responsibility. And then I forget the other piece of what was accountability or, or individual freedom, but that was individual freedom. Go ahead. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, it kind of goes hand in hand. Um, yeah. I mean, we can look at the, um, you know, the one of my serial metaphor, the mycelium it's it's a it's a network it's a one big web it's one big culture but each tip of the network um each little thread is called a hypha and it's really all the activity of the mycelium is really at the the hypha tip they're the leading edge of the culture and each each tip it's engaging with the environment it's learning and responding to signals assessing it um through many different uh, receptors and then responding and releasing the appropriate compounds to defend itself or eat its food or to form a symbiosis. And it's, it's performing these individual acts you know, autonomously, but still ultimately connected to its greater culture. It's never disconnected. We're never truly removed. We're you know, no Haifa is an Island and no human is an Island. <laughs> and we, we might want to be individualistic and think that we, you know, leave everybody behind, but that's just ridiculous. We inherit a culture, we inherit a belief. We are so tied to our ancestors and we will leave some sort of legacy that others will find someday, no matter what. And what do we want that to be? Um, and you know, how do we want to inform our greater culture and also engage with the environment outside ourselves? And yes, we can say that we are influenced by the culture, but at the same time we do each Haifa has this individual autonomy um, to make its own decisions for its own best interest while also keeping, um, ideally keeping the greater culture in mind and seeing that you, know, you really can't separate from the two. So in as much as I might have qualms with many of the different cultures that I've been involved with, uh, subcultures, mainstream culture, American culture, Western culture, there's issues I have there, but those are great things I respect about it. Um, I don't just throw everything out, you know, and there's, there's room for improvement. And I think there's also, you know, like I've said, said earlier there's things that we've forgotten that used to be good and and now we thought we'd replace it with something better but maybe that new thing isn't as good as it used to be um and so it's for me nothing is clear cut um it's one of my you know one of my other qual one of my issues is 
some of the critiques of today is just like you throw everything out. Everything's wrong. Every, the whole past is wrong. The whole tradition is wrong. Everything's wrong. When you start all over, it's like, well, we got to learn from somewhere. And humans did something right for about 100,000 years to get where we are. So <laughs> you know, there's something there to learn from the past and tradition and, and our grandparents and things. So, um, yeah. And I think, you know, you, you know, t- typical Western American culture or something like that, you know, the stereotype from not too long ago, a hundred years ago or less, it was a lot about individual, um, well, individual freedom to some degree. I mean, whatever that looks like for the individual, but definitely responsibility, you know, the starting your own, being an entrepreneur, going back to that, I mean, that's a lot of where my energy to be an entrepreneur comes from. Whereas I didn't have that before. It was more about the responsibility mm-hmm. and accountability for my life. And if I want to ha- be happy and comfortable or just, you know, I don't want to uh, expect others to do things for me. I need to take care of myself and, and be productive. And um, and what's a way I can do that, that I'm happy with and that I feel is a value. Um, and so that's, yeah, uh, th- these, these are huge topics for me, if you can't tell. I mean, they're, they're major underlying <laughs> points of motivation is uh, responsibility um, for myself, being proud of who I am and how I live and how I treat others and what I ultimately have done at the end of the day and in my life. And, um, if I haven't been true to myself and, and f- try to be as independent as I can and have the freedom to express what I really think, um, in the best ways that I can, then I probably won't be that happy. Mm, mm, mm. Uh, Peter, I really wanted to, um, uh, to uh, express my appreciation for the work you're doing. I think it's incredibly important work and, uh, especially the way the, the, you, coming back to the freedom, the way that you took it on yourself to express it in your own way. I think that's, that's one of the most uh, special things. So I um, really want to acknowledge you for all the work you're doing and, uh, um, uh, and, and also like the excitement and the curiosity. That's something that's like quite infectious with you. I mean, just talking with you now that, you know, the, this uh, drive to keep learning more and also the curiosity, it's like very kind of innocent curiosity in one hand, but in the other hand, like very adult drive so uh, um, i just want to acknowledge you for all that and all the work you're doing and i'm asking if you've got a message for anyone out there that maybe wants a deeper connection to uh, their own ecology their own place nature itself you know and uh, the deeper level obviously the mycology that's the foundation you got a message for any of those people out there that um, want to make a deeper connection it's i mean it's the timeless message that we are nature and we're never, it's really easy to forget that. I think sometimes, I mean, I live in a major city and it's, it's sometimes easy to, to not find that connection, not get out to the, the park down the street, even though I really want to. Um, and so for me, part of that connection has been better instilled through uh, the ability to, to kind of do that, seeing the fungi, even between the cracks and the sidewalk. I know there's fungi down there. There's probably some lichens growing down there. Um, and, that's the way that I've been able to see uh, nature persisting and the resilience and those messages, those many, many messages of the mycelium permeating through even this sort of paved over piece of the world that I, I currently live in. Um, and you can do that. You know, I think you can take that to any place in the world, to, to more de- desert or arid environment and, and see, you know, not just the biological life, but just the life of the land and the, the beauty of it. Mm-hmm. And, and thinking about, one of the things that I really love about fungal ecology is it is it draws out this this notion of durational time and geological time scales that we we don't live in as humans and we don't think in. And this is how fungi operate. They operate over vast distances and times, time spans. 
in trying to wrap my head around that and in seeing, you know, this pale blue dot is just a speck in the sea of the, the universe and myself is just a, a, a speck in the sea of time and this type of um, sort of notion and, and seeing how it's all been sort of sculpted by the eons and the epochs of life and even despite all the things with the climate and things we might be worried about today, you know, what could it like, look like in the future, um, things will continue to go on. Nothing is really that horrible in the grand scheme of things. So don't, you know, I still want to get out of bed. Like I say that tomorrow. Um, and for me, like a lot of this, uh, this encouragement to, to follow these feelings has come through the mycology has come through not just the fungi themselves, but what they've sort of led me to think about through studying all these tangential fields. And that's been the, really one of the greatest gifts of, of this study for me. And, you know, kind of what you're maybe saying that I am instilling in you is what I mean to instill, hope to instill in other people is that, that re remembrance that it not, it's not how it, it's not always how it seems. It's we're told it seems and that mm -hmm. it can be many other ways and that, um, all it really starts with is just shifting how we think. I mean, it's it's a it's a simplistic notion, but it is incredibly true. It's very timeless for good reason, um, because uh, it's it's the great you know knowledge is power is is a longstanding phrase for good reason. The more you know about yourself, the more you know about the world and your place in it, um, the more empowered and emboldened and inspired you are to engage in it and be fully present in it. And that's been. Um, you know, really just in so many ways, my greatest motivation, I've, I've channeled it into this sort of one primary outlet uh, for the reasons I've mentioned, but um, everybody has their ability to do it in, in many other ways, in their own ways, in their unique ways. Um, and again, if we all just did that, um, I think the world will and, and can be a much better place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fantastic. Fantastic. Um, I, I highly recommend everyone uh, engage in everything that um, Peter keep in, keep in touch with what Peter's doing because you know it doesn't look like he's slowing down anytime soon. <laughs> so, and we can catch you on. Uh, you've got a few websites going, right? Radical Mycology. That's right. That's the um, that's a, a developing one now, and also for the book. Is that right? And and also you've got a mycologue mycologus. That's that's a app, right? Yeah, so uh, radicalmycology.com was a, a, a really loose blog that I was doing uh, not so often for a long time. And so that's been a slow process for, uh, it's been a slow, slow burning process to to completely revamp the site to something very different. Basically a, a sort of news blog and um, sort of art culture engagement website uh -huh. is, is the idea, but there's moving parts to it coming together. But slowly um, trying to... Uh, yeah, facilitate many of the threads I've I've sort of started over the years, and and as a better means to uh, channel them. Uh, again, more on a cultural, artistic level with mycology is the thought. So that's just been a, a so, sort of slow process. Uh, it's been delayed essentially by the work I've been having to do in this warehouse here. It's been uh, a lot more than I anticipated. But that's going to be something I think pretty cool to keep an eye on and, and an interesting kind of news source is the idea. Um, right now it's just a placeholder site as we were building it. Okay. So that's radicalmycology.com. Um, there's radicalmycologyconvergence.com, which is for that event I mentioned. We now do it every other year. It was meant to happen this fall, but it had to be postponed mm. um, until next year. So people can get on there, check the, get the email list. And um, who knows, we might do some live streaming by next year for folks that are around the world. 
Um, it's meant to be much more of an in-person event, but we might look at some little bit of online stuff then. So keep an eye out. Uh, Michaelogos.world is where the online classes are. Like I said, there's just a few right now. Uh, many more are in the works and, and planned. And then for those uh, able to travel in the future, we'll be doing lots of in-person stuff, long form and short form. Um, we have some goods and things we provide there um, and more to come there in the future as well. And then a new endeavor uh, that's sort of taken the place of the radical mycology convergence because we weren't able to do this year. Uh, myself and other people working on that event are going to be putting on a, a fun, uh, short film festival related to fungi. So the fungi film fest, fungifilmfest.com. Uh, it's more of a, a way to digitally bring people together um, as it, as it is to uh, submit short films. So everybody's welcome to encourage you want to be professional. This is um, go to fungifilmfest.com to learn about it. Um, and it's a way to, again, sort of help build up a little bit of the community engagement, the, the cultural aspect, something fun to do. Uh, both as a, as an artist submitter and also as a viewer, so that's something really new. Um, as a film buff and person with a film background, it's something I'm exciting as like a side thing, but should be pretty good. Um, and so that's that's pretty new. We just started launching that because the convergence had to be post. So different ways to get involved. Um, those are all I'm primarily working on right now and plan to for, for the time being. Um, Microcycle. Dot com is uh, also just a sort of placeholder site, but there's a lot going on there um, in its own way, but it's something to definitely keep an eye out for as we keep building that up. And um, yeah, folks can can follow Michael Logos or Rad Mycology on social media for the mm -hmm. updates. And then there's email lists at all those websites as well. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. So we'll have all those in the show notes and we'll make sure we cover that. And uh, hopefully in the future, we might, uh, might be able to um, catch Peter and uh, maybe we'll do something a bit more uh, um, practical. That really the idea of EcoIQ project, if anyone's new to our, to our stream, is really we want to go deep into the journey of the, of the person and, and deal with, uh, talk with more in, uh, ideas of connection to ecology and also connections to each other and connections to ourselves. And that necessitates usually going a little bit deeper than um, the practical side of, of the person's uh, work. So, um, so in future, we'll be, we'll be um, hopefully be doing webinars where we'll go into the practical side and people will open up their work more, more on the practical skill level. So hopefully we'll be able to rope um, uh, Peter into, into one of those in the future. And, uh, yeah, so check out all the, all the everything Peter's doing. And uh, for EQIQ, you can catch us on, on all the usual channels. And uh, we're up on YouTube now. Finally, uh, everything's bootstrapped now. So, uh, but we're up on uh, YouTube, and uh, soon we'll have um, subtitles there for everyone that's uh, local. Um, it's subtitles in Hebrew if you can't catch it in English. And I really appreciate. I just want to acknowledge all your work again, um, Peter. Really appreciate your time here. Uh, very grateful for the um, whatever uh, forces brought us together to be able to um, share what what the, the work you've uh, been doing. It's I've uh, been chasing it for a little while, so I really really appreciate it. So excellent. Thanks a lot. Yeah, and, thanks uh, so much. We'll, we'll, We'll see, we'll see you. We'll see you the next time. Next iteration. Sounds good. Fantastic. I'm just gonna, uh, uh, okay. I'll stop the live stream. Re I really appreciate your time, uh, Peter. It was uh, fantastic. I hope it didn't take you too long. Normally I tell the guests before you listen, sometimes we go over and I forgot to tell you. So I hope I didn't like, you know, catch your time or something like that. I hope you're okay with that. Um, I mean, time just kind of went by. So it's yeah. all good. <laughs> <laughs> And no, uh, yeah, this is this was a great. Um, was okay. Norm, like, well, yeah, no, normal. I was gonna say normally. Um, I don't normally 
get such sort of, um, uh, you know, it's mostly superficial, mostly topical, the interviews I do. So it's nice okay. to do something a little bit. So for me, it's refreshing to be a little bit more real and oh, uh, good. more deep thinking and stuff about all this stuff. So that was great. Thank you. Yeah. The, the connection with the guest is actually very, very important for, for me, for us, for the team, but also for me personally, it's, it's very, very important. The connection to the guest, not just they're like a, a placeholder and I'm using him as a tool to like do, do my own agenda. It's really, really important. The, so I, when, when you, in, when the guest enjoys it, that's like my biggest triumph. So, I mean, if you, if you enjoyed it, I'm, I'm, I'm really, I'm stoked. <laughs> yeah. You no, know, it's, I mean, I don't literally, I mean, I'm, I don't really like to do a lot of interviews to be honest, because it's usually, I'm just saying the same thing over and over again. And, um, <laughs> you know, I just, yeah, I, I can only do so many of those things. So this was uh, great. You know, I really appreciate it. Great, great, great. Thanks a lot.